to suggest topics or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Everyone, thank you uh, for listening. As usual, that was uh, a pretty good segment. Kenny is is passionate about the business, and he has strong feelings. And, uh, like, listen, a lot of people in this business have strong feelings, except when it, you put a microphone in front of them, they, they climb up. And uh, whether he's right or he's wrong, I appreciate the fact that uh, he's willing to speak up and, and uh, you know, some of the... Uh, we've we've spoken before, and, and you know some of the issues that uh, you know the red tape that exists in, in in horse racing is is so difficult. And and you know the fact is that we are a sport that doesn't have uh, a, a, an umbrella covering us all like the other you know traditional sports, football, baseball, basketball. So we have all these different. Um, I mean, could you imagine how how complicated it would be if the NFL had uh, different networks? covering um different teams like uh, the the patriots were allowed to have their own television contract and and the the the, the nfc east had their own contract and the uh you know the steelers had their own contract and i mean it, it would be it would be a mess but that's essentially what we have in horse racing so um and and that race Saturday is is going to be some some race. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody makes it there healthy and and sound and uh, goes off without a uh, without any issues. And and you know, kind of let them determine on the track who's who's the best. Um, with us now is is a guy who's um, doing a lot of different things in in the sport of horse racing. Uh, you may have heard of his his stallion. Um, who's really kind of a, one of the real hot stallions in, in, in Florida, um, Buchero. But um, he also has a, a racing partnership, Iron Horse Racing, and um, he's joining us now, uh, Harlan, Harlan Malter. Harlan, are you there? I am here, Chuck. Hey, how are you? Good, good. I, uh, I heard your lead in. I thought that was an interesting transition because uh, I happen, uh, I'm getting ready to head to the OBSL. Where we're going to have some partnerships uh, being put together. Uh, but I got on the plane at LAX um, in, in March uh, to head to the last sale, and who was sitting next to me but uh, uh, Kenny and Sherry McPeak. Um, and so we actually had a, uh, a little. Um, a little chat. I happened to give him a Buchero. Speaking of a Buchero, a brochure. I took a picture of Kenny holding it, and I, I got a couple comments from my friends. They said, "Do they allow you to pre-board all the flights to leave a Buchero brochure <laughs> uh, at every seat?" So um, everybody got a kick out of that picture. But uh, just funny uh, transition from from Kenny to me. Well, you know, you you sent me a picture uh, a couple months back. And, and you were you were you look like a NASCAR driver. You had Buchero uh, mask. You had a hat. You had a shirt. You had a jacket. <laughs> uh, you know you, you can't say that you're not willing to to market your your horse. Yeah, well, I, I learned a long time ago. Um, you know, if you if you have something you truly believe in, um, it's it's not hard uh, to be passionate about it. And uh, you know, as a horse that you know, he wasn't wasn't a one hit wonder. Actually, it took a a lot of time and effort, and he really developed. And you know, what a war horse he was. And uh, so, spent a lot of time with. I know the quality of the horse and the depth of this horse. And 
Um, I think the people in Florida, obviously, it's been it's been a great two years, and going into our third year, uh, have kind of received them like that. So it's been easy to be passionate about them. Let me ask you this question: How did you get involved in horse racing, and uh, like, what was uh, um, your exposure, you know, first to horse racing? Um. Well, I come from a family of just huge sports fans, uh, but absolutely no link um, to horse racing at all. And uh, my father was a uh, grew up in the Bronx as a total city guy, never touched a animal probably other than a dog in his whole life. But, you know, just going along with sports, uh, you know, he obviously was involved, uh, you know, in wanting to go to horse races at times. So that was just part of his circle of sports. But we used to, I grew up in Boston, actually, and we used to drive out to Saratoga every summer, you know, set up the blankets. And it was just, there's just something obviously, you know, about Saratoga uh, that makes it pretty easy to get hooked on the, the whole atmosphere uh, you know, I know you talk about all the ups and downs of horse racing, but that uh, you know, this is probably the the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, just incredibly fond memories. You know, I think back, you know, sitting on mud and you know a blanket in the back and mm-hmm. thinking I was having the greatest time in the world. So that's really what hooked me um, on on it, and I really wanted to get involved at some point and um, kind of put it off uh, early on and. Finally, back in 2007, um, it's kind of how it led me to partnerships. I really had no idea how to get involved, to be honest with you. There's not really a welcome gate at the at the backside to um, to kind of say, hi, new owner, this is how you do it. So I actually got involved with a partnership, which eventually went defunct relatively quickly and under some suspicious uh, uh, circumstances. So what, what it was great was it opened the door, and I got to the backside, and I met some nice people, and through – just many, many interesting stories. Uh, I've met so many great people and kind of uh, gone from just having one $7,500 claimer to, I think, Iron Horse has, uh, you know, 18 horses now in training, um, you know, a couple of Breeders' Cups, Royal Ascot. So it's been an, an incredible adventure from, from back on the blanket in Saratoga. You know, the truth is that if you bring someone to Saratoga and they don't fall in love with racing, there, there might a there might be something wrong with them, and b they're never going to fall in love with racing. If, if Saratoga doesn't get you, it's uh, you're not going to get guy. You know, it's just not going to it's not going to happen. And uh, it's funny because you know the late seventies, um, early eighties was was when I was a kid, uh, working on you know sneaking on the track to work on the backside when I was wasn't really technically old enough to work, but I was always tall, so you know I, I would get by. But um, you know it's 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 kind of a a little bit of a different era, but you know when when you go to Saratoga and you walk in that gate, and, and yes, the buildings are a little different. There's you know a little different uh, feel to the paddock and, and things like that. And, and essentially, it, it's still like it was, um, you know, thirty, forty years ago. And and uh, and that's that one allure of Saratoga. One of the allures is, is that you know you're back in a place. The tradition uh, they still ring the bell at seventeen minutes and. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just a fabulous place. And I, and I know it's, fun, it's funny, Barry and I talk about this on the, on the Monday show all the time, the, the collective angst of, of people, um, you know, kind of trying to read the tea leaves as to what's going to happen for Saratoga this summer, because, you know, last summer, obviously with, with no fans being allowed, so many people who, whose, uh, vacations who, who every year have this, you know, they make this this trek to to the mecca of Saratoga. That uh, got uh, interrupted, and, and it, you know, it, it's like, you know, that's the one place that people just, uh, you know, 
can't miss and can't, don't want to live without. And, and it's like, man, I'm trying to figure out the the internal politics of, of what's going on in New York and, and uh, you know, with Naira. And then, you know, oh, I, I read this and it's going to be 10%. It's going to be 25%. It might not happen. You have to be vaccinated. You know, it's like, man, it's only April. <laughs> but people are already nervous that, uh, that, that it's going to be difficult to get fans back there. But, you know, we're hoping that... Uh, Hoping that that some way, shape, or form, in, in, in some capacity, that uh, people are allowed back in because um, Saratoga is a, is a, like you said, it, it's just a, it, it's it's a unique place. Yeah, and I, and I think and I think both from the fan standpoint, uh, you know, I was a college baseball player, and uh, I was lucky enough to play college baseball in New York, and uh, you know, Yankee Stadium. Uh, I feel like has always traditionally. I'm sure there's a lot of baseball players who that first day they step onto the field at, at Yankee Stadium. You know, it's you, you grow up as a kid, and all the other stadiums, obviously. Uh, there's something though about Yankee Stadium that I think everyone probably walks on. Boy, I, I really made it. And you know, so both from the spectator side and the owner and partner side, um, you know, we were lucky enough to uh, get a nice two-year-old last year who won first out uh, at Saratoga and. You know, I think that is one of the things uh, you were saying. If, if you go to Saratoga and you don't like horse racing, uh, it's it's definitely not your thing. Um, and I think also from an ownership standpoint, uh, you know, I you always use the line, what's great about horse racing partnerships, buying 5%, you know, kind of starting to get involved. That 30 seconds while your horse is, is circling around before it loads, if you're not, if your heart's not beating a little faster, if the hair's not sticking up on the back of your neck, I, I have that. Whether it's a a maiden ten at Indiana Grand or it's a maiden special at Saratoga, I still have that. Um, and, and I tell my my prospective partners, it's really easy. You're either gonna feel it, and you'll probably never have another day in your life you don't own a percent of a horse, or it's just not your thing. So you might as well try it because it's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty thrilling rush. Um, to have that. And, you know, going back to Saratoga, you know, I, I did go last year, you know, we, uh, again, we won first out. We ended up running the Saratoga special. So I was able to go there and it was, uh, it, it was a, a very bizarre experience to be at Saratoga in the summer, beautiful sun, beautiful sky, and, and 25 people to be at the racetrack, 40 people to be at the racetrack while they're running a, you know, a grade, uh, a grade two, grade three stakes um, in front of them. So I think I think hopefully this year we'll we'll get back a little bit more normal. It looked like Linda was was quite a bit of a success, and uh, hopefully we'll just move forward from that. Yeah, those are, um, you know, it's almost a shame. I mean, it's great that you were you were uh, you know had a first time starter win and, and able to run in a stake at Saratoga with a two year old, which is you know probably uh, something that just doesn't happen that much. It, you know, I, I was talking to Kenny, you know, when we were saying that like sometimes some of the big outfits make winning look so easy because they're always winning. And, you know, it's not that they're, they're, they're excellent trainers and they have a lot of good horses, but it's not easy. I mean, we don't see all the anguish of all the ones that don't make it or don't, you know, get hurt. So, you know, winning is winning, but, um, yeah, I, I feel kind of like you guys got robbed a little bit because you weren't able to win in a full grandstand of people and, and have that, uh, you know, the experience of the crowd, uh, you know, rising up and, um, you know, being in the paddock, and I mean, I've been there. You know, I I, I know that feeling. And at Saratoga, it's just a little bit more special um, than it is other places. And 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 part of that is the crowd. I mean, there's even on the slow days, it's it's a it's a nice crowd, and people are engaged, and people know racing in the town. You know, everything is is surrounded. Uh, 
um, you know, the surrounding area, everything's focused towards racing. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of places in the country like that. Uh, you know, Del Mar to a little bit, you know, to an extent and, you know, Keeneland a little bit and Ocala, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get good horses. I mean, it's, it's, and there's so many things that can go wrong and that, you know, that, that's that's the old saying is is that there, there's you know a million things can go wrong and only one thing can go right. Well, you, you bring up two two great points about um, a the, the the atmosphere and and uh, you know what what it's all about uh, being at the track and 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 how Saratoga um, how Saratoga feels. I mean, and that and that really is. Um, what's interesting about horse racing and, and boy, I really, really hope we can get that back. Um, because I do think they're, you know, again, I was a baseball player and I, I use it as a comparison because I have a lot of people outside of horse racing that tell me, I don't like the fact that there's 25 minutes between the race. Um, it's boring. That, that, that's what I hear from people who are not horse racing people at all. And these are the same people though, that will go to a, baseball game for four and a half hours mm-hmm. and again if, if i hadn't played baseball i think i'd only watch hockey like i now do as an adult um and that's not a knock on baseball there is just something amazing about the atmosphere of baseball and being in a major league baseball park and i think saratoga really kind of feels that way if i had to equate the feeling of being at a ballpark in july at a baseball game and and, and it's saratoga's like that uh keeneland like you said has a similar atmosphere we were so lucky you know to win both of those stakes uh, with bucaro at keeneland i mean the the feeling of winning with that crowd i still look back at the pictures we have some great pictures from the you know the infield those uh those static cameras right at the finish line looking mm-hmm. at the crowd and you know you can see thirty thousand faces all paying attention um, you know, just on their feet watching the races. And there's an electricity to that that um, I think is amazing. The second point you brought up very quickly is, and it's something I really do think, I, I hope that we can recognize as an industry. Um, I think social media has created a feeling that the big horses are all that matter. Um, we see so much of these big horses, big horses, news about the big horses, you know, oh, we got this big horse. Um, I think really what horse racing really needs to remember is we need people to be excited about winning, uh, you know, a maiden 25 um, at Tampa Bay Downs on a Tuesday. Right. We, we need owners who are still going to be thrilled with that. No, that's true. It's true. It's, it's one of the downsides of, um, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'd like, I, I mean, racing partnerships are here to stay and, and in general, they do a great job. Uh, it was one of the weaknesses that I had considered concerning the, the micro shares, um, in that one of the catches always, you know, to, to, to partnering guys up. And, and that's what I, I was, when I started training, I tried to partner my guys up and, you know, it was always, it wasn't always easy to do because, you know, different personalities clash and this and that. But I, I the constant theme I would always tell them is, listen, if you own 50% of a horse or you own 25% of a horse, when they hit the top of the stretch, when they hit the finish line, it, the feeling is the same. It's not like, ah, uh, I, I, you know, I only own 25%. So, uh, you know, I'll only be like 75% excited. I mean, it's, it's the same. I said, <laughs> but the difference is at the end of the month when you get the bill, 
it's smaller, <laughs> you know? So right. like you're getting the same excitement, but you're getting a smaller bill. And I mean, let's face it. Most horses don't make, you know, they don't, they don't earn what they cost plus all their expenses because it's, it's difficult. I mean, if it was easy to do, well, everyone would do it. Uh, I, I said that a million times to owners. I said, listen, if I could just guarantee make money with horses, why would I need you? You know, I could just go buy it myself and make money. And that this is an easy game. It's not though, because like I said, there's so many things that can go wrong with a horse. And, and the one good thing about the partnerships is that, you know, you guys are able to, to get people um, involved at, at a low cost. Um, you know, are relatively low cost. Everybody's low cost. Uh, you know, Michael Tabor's low cost isn't you know my low cost, but um, you know, there, there's such a um, you know, there's such a, a positive to that. Um, but I, I just fear, and, and I don't want to get into a big you know, but thing about micro shares. But it just seems as though those people aren't getting the entire ownership experience, in that. They're just kind of like getting a certificate and then it says, yeah, you, you own, you know, this tiny little piece of this, but they're not really getting to come to the barn. They're not really getting to, to come to the paddock and to meet the, the people for the most part and, and, and to be, you know, privy to some of the decisions that are made. And, and I think that's part of the allure of, of owning horses and that there's some strategy involved in the races that you pick out and, um, you know, kind of looking forward to that and, and hearing about the workouts and, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a very expensive sport. So, uh, you know, partnerships like you guys have are, are really, you know, important, uh, important vehicles for the industry to, to expand because like, uh, like, you know, like McPeak said at the end of our conversation, you know, when, when we started training him and I, there was 45,000 foals and now, you know, we're at like 16 or 17 or 18 and, you know, we got to get people back in the game. Yeah, well, and I and I think you hit a lot of things uh, on the head there. For us and for all the partnerships, obviously, the spreading of the risk um, is is a tremendous asset to getting involved in a partnership. Um, like you know, so many things can go wrong with horses, and I think it, it's why we do it. Um, I think, it, like you said, I don't know if it was easy; everybody would do it. I think if it was easy, no one would do it because it would just be boring. Um, I think you know the reason that 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 horse racing really hooks people is it's it's like the perfect game or the hole in one. You know, people. It's it's out there. The brass ring is somewhere just out there, and you know, luckily, you know, I feel extremely fortunate to have had it happen to me with with, with Bucaro. Um, you know that 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 horse came along. You know, we went from being a smaller operation with claiming horses, and you know, again, suddenly we're Royal Ascot. Um, and so everyone knows that that's what it makes it amazing about about horse racing is some of these horses can come from nowhere um, and, and take you places, and the partnership allows people to get involved um, at, at a at a lower a price point uh, than a you know the whole hundred percent of a horse. I think for what we try to do, and really what kind of took me the time to really expand Iron Horse, which was really only about two years ago, we did small partnerships, kind of like you, as far as just kind of individual people you may have known or brought in, um, to kind of expand it to the national level, like Little Red Feather and West Point and Eclipse have done a you know a great job, uh, you know, for the past you know five to ten years uh, of developing this kind of national syndicate. Um, but what really changed it for me is the ability for me to communicate with my partners. Um, from, a, from being a partner standpoint, it wasn't super attractive to me to get an email once a month. 
um, to get a quarterly report to kind of just get when is the horse being entered. Uh, I really wanted to know um, really as much as I might know if, if I own the whole horse. And I'm not saying that's an update every single day, but a lot of times it's an update a week, um, kind of where we're thinking, what the thoughts are. And we've kind of been very aggressive in adopting technology that allows us to communicate extremely directly with every partner right on their cell phone. Um, so, and from my end as a managing partner, part of the reason really I enjoy doing it, I think you know this, not a lot of people get rich in this business. This is a passion business. And for me, uh, what really makes me do it and put in all the work is I love having all of these other people excited with me. Um, to be able to have a horse and 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 have you know something great happen and have a whole group of people to share that with, um, it, it makes it all worthwhile. So we've we've integrated a, a, like I said a chunk of technology that allows our partners to communicate almost really twenty four seven with me with each other um, and allows me to be providing pictures and videos and updates. I mean, actually, right before I got on with you, I was sending out two or three updates to the different uh, channels that we use uh, within this technology. So that, I think, is one of the things that, that the syndicates has also brought brought to it. And then really just getting back to the final point about, you know, where, I, where this all started with uh, understanding that not every horse can be monomigro. Uh, not every horse can be authentic. Um, I think all of us, the sooner you relate your racehorse to your child's athletic uh, endeavors, the sooner you're really going to embrace horse racing. And the reason I mean that is I think every adult, uh, you know, every parent who has a child um, or has been involved with their nephew or niece or whatever, whatever a child, they look at them, they love them, and, and they really appreciate their effort really appreciate their effort. And they obviously understand there's a certain skill level they didn't get to. Um, and hopefully they get to a competitive arena in which they can have some success. And what you start to really appreciate is the, the, the passion, the uh, effort that that athlete puts in. And I think the sooner that we get back to, you know, some horses are really, really good $7,500 claimers. They're good at it. They like to train. They like to get up in the morning. They like to get in the starting gate, and they like to try really hard, and they don't always win, but they show up and they keep running. Um, you can be passionate about that horse. You can be really proud of that horse, and there are a lot of, lot of owners who are. Um, but, again, I think, like I said, with social media, there's so much new emphasis on only um, – not only, I think it's natural that you are going to report about all, a main special weight winner here, a graded stakes winner here. You know, those little guys get lost in the in, – in the, um, the, lost in the mass of information. So I think what I really try to encourage our partners to understand is that, you know, we're looking for a star, but we just need to get our horses to where they can be competitive and put in that effort and then really kind of soak in how proud we are uh, of the equine athlete. And, you know, I think uh, sometimes when these things happen, because the reason that's what I've always felt like, look, I was an athlete who probably shouldn't have been uh, where I was, but I tried really, really hard. I put a lot of effort in and I, it paid some dividends for me. And I ended up with a horse like Bucara, who, you know, I don't know was incredibly heralded. Um, but here's a horse that ran 31 times. He ran at 13 tracks. And as I was to say to people, the gates opened. It didn't matter if secretary was next to him. He put his head down and ran his heart out. Um, and, you know, I said that right after the race at Ascot. I said, really, the thing that was most important to me about going to Ascot with Bucaro, um, and I've had some uh, 
online uh, disputes with some racing pundits about whether or not people should be going to Ascot from uh, in the United States. But it, and this was really the heart of it. It made me proud to let him get out there and run against Blue Point, run against Batash, beat Lady Aurelia, and just I've gotten multiple comments from people. You know, the second that he put his head down and ran through the line, you know, you just know what type of animal you have. And you know what? There are $7,500 claimers who run the exact same way. They might not have the same physical talent, but that's how they try. And that, that's really, to me, I think something that we need to emphasize to new owners. No doubt about it. And and, and anybody that gave you any grief about going to Royal Ascot is, is just nuts. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to train a horse uh, called Battle One that, got invited to Hong Kong. We went over there and we wound up uh, tackling a horse called Silent Witness who had won uh, 16 in a row, <laughs> like like 11 grade ones in a row. And yes, he, he beat mm-hmm. us and everyone else again. Yeah, I think he won like 18, 18 in a row. I think he won a couple more after that. But the experience was so amazing to go there to see uh, how things are done in a different jurisdiction because it's easy to get jaded here. Uh, it's a 365-day year business you know, you're kind of going to the same places. And yes, we all look forward to Saratogas. And then in wintertime, I remember being at Aqueduct and, and like counting the days down until we were shipping south to go to Gulfstream, you know, freezing. You know, you, you'd be freezing at Aqueduct and you'd be like, oh, my God, how many more days until Gulfstream? But but it can be a little mundane. And, and once you've kind of seen everything, well, you've, you've seen everything. So when you get to go overseas and you see um, the passion that people have there for racing and, and uh uh, you know, I've never been to Royal Ascot for the races. I've been to Newmarket for the sales quite a few times. Um, but it, it's just a, a different experience. And, uh, you know, you're seeing kind of uh, uh, a different culture and how they experience racing. And, and to me, it, it was fascinating. And like I said, we, we went over there and I, I think we finished seventh or eighth out of 13 or 14. So, I mean, we didn't do anything. But it was just the whole experience of going there, of of, of seeing other uh, training methods, seeing other people, seeing, you know, people that you, um, you'd, you'd heard about, but you'd never actually seen. And, uh, I mean, it's a great experience and I, and I really recommend anybody that gets invited to any kind of race, overseas race to, to, to really take a look at it and, and, and do it. And I mean, and you know, like you never know when you're going to get a, a, another one like that. I remember, you know, Dan Marino, he comes into the NFL, he goes to the Super Bowl his first year. <laughs> he said, I thought we'd do this every year. You never went back, you know? <laughs> and and it's, yeah. uh, it's it, you know, you never know when you're going to get a Bouchero or, or a horse like that because they come along so infrequently, you know? And, and yeah, for Bob Baffert, it looks easy, but he, Bob Baffert's got 150 of the best horses coming into his barn every year. He's supposed to get those kind of horses, but there's only a couple guys like that, you know? And, and um, you know, for us, us normal guys who, who who don't have that kind of ability to, you know, that kind of stock, like it's such a great feeling to be able to be honored enough to to get to uh, to even to run on on a big day. You know, you run on Derby Day or you get a Breeders' Cup horse, and I mean, it's it's just that's kind of the the culmination of all your efforts to get to to that uh, part of the game. And yeah, listen, most of the time, you know, you run in a Breeders' Cup race, there's usually 13 other horses in there, and only one guy's going to win. But um, you know, just getting there is, is is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. And we, like I said, we've been we've been fortunate. We've been in three of the last four Breeders' Cup. We got back again this year with uh, Momos, and um, it's it is what uh, I, I really do think that the Breeders' Cup does such a good job 
um, of putting those races together. I'm putting on really good two days of racing that allows the real racing fan to dig into the best of the best. And that takes a lot of work. And, you know, in the, 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 the couple of years that I've been there, I've met a lot of great people on the backside of, of, of the Breeders' Cup. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work to put all that together and to get it. And, and I really think it is a great showcase. And I, and, and I think having gone to Ascot, which is really surreal almost. I mean, it is, it's, it's something that I know they say about the Melbourne Cup in, in Australia, that it, it's the race that stops a nation. You know, everyone pretty much off, they go do that. But Ascot, that week stops all of greater London. Uh, there's not anybody you walk by that isn't saying what day they're going out for Royal Ascot. Um, and it is a tremendous, it's a tremendous plant. It's a tremendous experience. They do an amazing job of, of bringing international people. And like you said, I've been to Hong Kong twice, not with a horse, uh, but I've been to Hong Kong uh, before the pandemic of the, those two years. And again, it's a tremendous experience. Um, and I think that any American fan, obviously, you know, especially in today's day and age, that can go and see some international racing, it's, it's, it's really a treat, but um, I think we have that here. You know, we have that with the Breeders' Cup and um, some of our big weekends of racing, and uh, I, I hope we can keep developing that uh, that type of feeling on those days. No, no doubt about it. Um, so tell me about, um, and I want to apologize to you, because um, I bet Momos in the Breeders' Cup, the turf sprint, so that might have been uh, the weight that you were carrying. You probably would have been third. I don't. I don't know that, that you'd have beat Golden Pal, but you might have hit the board without me. But um, what, so what's going on with him? Where, where's uh, Where's he scheduled to go next? Well, he is. Um, he's with the Clement Stable, and he's. Uh, we gave him just a little. Everything went uh, fine. I had the, you know, speaking of the Breeders' Cup, he uh, Golden Pal made that very, very. I think he was going to run and you know sub 20 for the first quarter and mm-hmm. i think i read uh, that took him back and the whole field kind of wondered what was happening and kind of dropped almost back a little bit and uh he lost a little bit early but uh he ran well in that race uh he came out totally fine um but we we when we took that path after we won first out um i told christoph we had actually bought the horse and phil hager uh from tapu bloodstock is the one who who had selected him for us. We bought him in the March sale, and we were very, very optimistic. And that was a good uh, combination. Phil really liked him physically, and we'd picked up that pedigree. Ironically, I'm actually sitting in my office looking at uh, Bukera's first uh, Woodford win, and I'm seeing Mongolian Saturday. Uh, Momos' dam is a half to Mongolian Saturday. Um, so we had noticed that. We said, boy, maybe, maybe this horse can be a turf sprinter. We'll get back, uh, we'll get back to Ascot somehow. Um, and after we won first out at Saratoga, you know, I said to Christoph, I said, well, you know, you think he's a dirt or a turf horse? He said, yeah, you know, it's a really good dirt horse, but I'm happy to try him on turf. Um, and then we kind of took that path, and he at that point said, you know, if we're going to take this path to try to get the Breeders' Cup, he's, we're going to use him, and we're going we're gonna to give him a break. So it was a planned break. Um, he's down a pace in it. He's had three works now. And uh, I think they're very, very happy with him, and he'll, he'll head up to Belmont and probably see him early, uh, early May at Belmont. Excellent. That's uh, you. You think about stretching him out at all? You think he'll go uh, go further than sprint distances? So it's so it's interesting. His pedigree, um, you know, he's by distorted humor, which you know he could really do anything. Um, he's a he's on the small side. He's kind of a tank, uh, a little tank. 
So I think, you know, when you look at him physically, it doesn't look like a two-turn horse. Um, but uh, we're hoping he's still just very, very fast. And, you know, speed can be deadly no matter what distance. So I think we'll probably bring him back. Uh, I think we're probably going to bring him back dirt sprinting. Um, and then we'll go from there and kind of see where we are in, uh, in that division. That's a good plan. Hopefully, uh, maybe, you know, get to Saratoga. They got that. They got that little race uh, named after my old boss, the Allen Jerkins, which should be a nice, uh, nice, nice target, right? Uh, well, absolutely. And I know, uh, I know, Christoph uh, definitely has the Saratoga meet circled on his calendar every year. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, if Momos is going to be uh, prime for something, it'll be the Saratoga meet. Yeah, that'd be that'd be excellent. Uh, and, and like I said earlier, hopefully, hopefully, fans are allowed to. Oh, it's uh, it's getting it's it's just a little bit frustrating not knowing, I guess. But uh, I mean, I haven't been up, you know. I, I, obviously, I didn't go up last year, but I'm, I'm really, really jonesing to get back. And uh, um, like I said, Saratoga, Saratoga. Um, what about uh, other your other racers uh, racing and horses that are racing right now? Well, who do you have uh, coming up? Anyone going to be in the entry soon? Well, we have. Uh... We have a lot of horses that range in, in age. Or the, our two-year-olds, obviously, now is about the time where the two-year-olds start the track. So we have four or five two-year-olds who will be getting to the racetrack in the next month or so, um, a chunk that we're pretty excited about. Uh, as far as racing, we, ha- we have another horse we bought out of the um, um, out of the old March OBSL, Jade Empress, who uh, is a Florida bred. She's in a Florida with Bill Mott. Um, we have a nice um, capture. Uh, who's just turned three, um, who had a quite promising fall, um, had to give him a little bit of time off, and he'll be coming back. And um, But, yeah, I mean, we're very, very excited about the two-year-olds, um, you know, coming down the line. Um, I think, you know, like I said, we really started buying uh, for the larger partnership groups, uh, the public partnerships, was really just the spring of 2019. So we're very early on in the cycle of our horses. So this I think 2021 will end up being a pretty big year. Uh, we're going down to the OBSL, which is going on right now, as I'm sure you know. Uh, we're going to be buying a horse for uh, for Kristoff, um, Bill Maud, and Tim Gleishaw. So uh, there's still a couple a couple shares available in those. So um, we are rounding those up, and uh, we'll be buying next week. So it's always uh, it's the beauty of horse racing, right? There's always the next one coming along, and uh, you know, as these horses develop, you know, as I tell my partners, um, you know, we're super focused in this industry right now on two-year-olds, you know, winning a stakes at two-year-old, winning something early as a three-year-old. And, you know, we kind of took a different approach with Bucero, you know, because he was an Indiana bred. Um, we had a very, very lucrative program in Indiana, and they do a great job with that program. Um, we, we had the luxury of taking ourselves much slower. And I know you trained on the East Coast. Uh, I still remember we sent that, we sent Bucaro up to um, Mike Trombetta, who has a chunk of horses for us. Uh, he's a great trainer in the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, I said, Mike, listen, I know I'm giving this horse in June, but there is a two-year-old stakes race that I'd love to debut him in um, in the first week of September. And, again, Having been a trainer, I'm sure that there's nothing you like more than to hear an owner tell you that when a horse has just walked into your barn that you you've already you've already circled. But Mike's response to me was, "There's stakes races in Indiana for Indiana." <laughs> so it was good I mentioned it to him. Yeah. Um, but we did end up making that race, and um, 
you know, we, we went out there, we ran second by a nose in that race. And, uh, but again, uh, Bucero is kind of the type of horse that has taught me, uh, and, and I try to pass on to our partners. Not every horse has to be a superstar two-year-old. Not every horse has to be. There are horses that can develop over time. And, you know, if you do the right thing by them and you allow them to kind of get their feet under them at times, you know, they can develop as a three and four and five-year-old. Now, you know, Bucaro is a little different. He was a very, very good two-year-old also, but he really didn't hit the national stage until, um, you know, his five- and six-year-old year. So um, we, we take our time with our horses and we make sure that, um, you know, if they need to have a break here or there, we give them a break and uh, uh, let them show us what they can do. You know, I trained a filly that was the champion Indiana-bred three-year-old filly one year. And this is how long ago it was. Uh, Hoosier was, was where she did most of her running. Yeah. They don't even have thoroughbreds anymore. And I cannot remember her name. But um, she wasn't very good. I, I remember after Indiana after Indiana was over, we went, she shipped to Belmont, and we ran her for 25, and she she got she got beat like 15 legs. And somebody was making fun of me, and I said, listen, man, that's a champion, Philly. Champion of what? It's Indiana. And Indiana yeah. breads have gotten a well, lot better. They've gotten a lot better since well, then. Well, they have. They have, and I know you're again. You know, there's a there's a, a Indiana bred named Pieri Bianchi who's uh, who's still currently running, um, and uh, I think she's made six hundred thousand. I think I, I saw on social media she's she's point to the vagrancy, um, and um, she's she's a multiple grade. I think she's a grade one, multiple grade one placed filly. Um, I, I I think uh, I've seen on social media that their ownership is very uh, um, excited to uh, try to break Bucaro's. Uh, as of now, Bucaro is the all-time highest-earning Indiana bred, um, and I think they're trying to chase that record, which I uh, highly uh, I hope they get it. I think uh, it's it's obviously exciting to uh, to, uh, to to have that record, but it's neat to have somebody chasing it. And uh, I hope the Philly does great. But yes, Indiana breds have uh, have definitely elevated, and I think a lot more people have kind of obviously put some attention on the state bred programs and the types of incentives. And we, you know, at Iron Horse, we do try to do that. We have a couple of Florida breds, um, which, you know, give us the opportunity to, to run in some of the restricted races. Uh, we have a couple of Indiana breds and uh, New York bred. So I, I do think that more and more uh, from the partnership level um, to, to make it a little bit more, you know, along with us doing no markup uh, on our purchases, which I think helps a lot of our partners. You know, we sometimes try to zig when others are zagging and, and, and maybe find a horse in a state bred program that uh, will give us a, uh, maybe an easier spot here or there to get the horse started. Because like you said, you know, you show up in California and run against Bob Baffert or you're, you know, show up in New York, you know, there's no, there's no easy spots. No, 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 no. It's, it's very, very tough. I mean, I, I think the Derby trail this year is a, a perfect example of, of how tough it is in that uh, we've seen so many bombs win, you know, traditional Derby preps just uh just goes to show you how hard it is to get a good horse to get him in form and to keep that form and it's it's not easy and and the, you know some of the guys make it look easy but uh it, it's it's difficult um to, to talk about Bouchero and and why you decided to um you know to stand him at stud yourself well uh, a couple things um you know we, two things. Well, you know, we always had, you know, once he'd been become quite a successful Indiana bred, you know, I, we knew um, the type of horse he was. Um, 
Tim has trained some very nice horses, uh, and even though we were running in Indiana and winning a lot of stakes there, you know, we both knew that this was a serious horse, uh, that once we kind of, you know, let him run against um, open, graded company, he was going to be hyper-competitive. Um, we kind of did the smart thing. Uh, it's a, sometimes it's uh, as uh, my my other business. I'm a financial planner, so I'm kind of always looking for the most efficient use of of money and assets. And uh, staying in Indiana was uh, was was important to us to kind of uh, set a base for him, kind of make back our money, and, and then see what we could do. Um, so you know, we always felt he could be a sire. Um, and after he finished, um, after he finished his career. Um, you know, I think most people know the breeding business. You know, there's certain check boxes that people are looking for. And uh, I know I spoke to a, somebody I respect in the business who's been heavily involved with many very good horses. And I told him that I was going to stand Bucaro. And um, his comment to me was, um, nobody wants a turf sprinter and nobody wants a horse that ran he was, until he was six. That was his advice. And I think, you know, there, wasn't, there weren't a lot of people knocking down our door to get Bucaro. Now, that being said, I think it's a little bit uh, – there's only so much time in this game. You know, if you're someone who's standing stallions, you know, there's certain horses you have to look at and there's certain pedigrees that you want to pursue. And I, I don't begrudge anybody for letting Bucaro slip through the cracks, but I knew the horse. Um, you know, physically, there's just nothing wrong. You know, there, there's nothing that is an absolute physical specimen. I think that Cantheros is, is really what helped tremendously in Florida. Uh, Cantheros was obviously very successful in Florida and uh, really did, uh, you know, did a great job for a tremendous amount of breeders. So that was a no-brainer for us. Um, so I actually, uh, through lots of people I know down in Florida, uh, I had ended up uh, hooking up with Joe Barbazon, and I know you've had Helen on, on your show, and, and they're just fantastic people. And we kind of put our head together, and he was thrilled to have Bucaro. He was thrilled to have kind of the first son of Cantheros. And, um, you know, we talked, and, and I said, look, I have some ideas about maybe doing things a little bit differently than, than maybe others have done. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we're going to be a team here on how we market this horse. And they were happy to do that. And, you know, we did a, we put together what I felt was um, a good marketing plan, really more sen- more in the sense of just, letting people know what this horse is all about and kind of emphasizing maybe some of the, some of the attributes of this horse that um, maybe get missed um, with some other stallions, you know, having run 31 times, having won, you know, at, 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 and run at 13 different racetracks, having, you know, he, he won going long on the dirt mistakes, short in the dirt, short in turn. It's very, very versatile. Um, and, Really, the biggest thing that I found uh, that has been uh, his success has been secondary to how much I've really enjoyed the process. Uh, I was a small breeder, along with being a small owner, racehorse owner. I was a small breeder, and you know, bred to a couple seventy-five hundred dollars stallions in Kentucky, and you know, those you're little, you're a little player. You don't get a tremendous amount of attention, and that makes sense. I mean, this is a business, and people have to focus on on the major people. Um, but you definitely feel a little bit lost in the shuffle. And I realized that Bucaro is nothing without breeders. I mean, the amount of money breeders put in to make these horses for that brass ring is astonishing. I mean, it's a, you know, when you add it all up, what it costs to get a crop of, some, of a stallion's horses to the races 
it's not the stallion. It's not the stallion owner that, that should be patted on the back. It's the breeders. And, you know, I, that's how I really approached it. I wanted all the breeders to know you're doing the job here. You, you know, I'm nothing without you. And I'm going to do everything humanly possible uh, to help, um, to be a partner with you, to, to, to you know, reach out to you and communicate. And, and, and my experience with Florida breeders has just been tremendous. I mean, it's been a phenomenal two and a half years of, of getting to know all the breeders and um, be part of it. I, uh, my phone during breeding season, uh, almost every morning I wake up to a picture of one of the Bukeros, mm-hmm. whether it's a newborn, a yearling. I mean, that's the type of relationship I've developed, and it's just, you know, I guess it's like having, you know, 200 grandkids. You know, he, he's a beautiful horse. You, you go on the website, uh, com and, and, and look at him. Uh, I mean, he's just a, 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 you know, specimen, just really well-balanced. And he's, you know, flashy. He's got the white legs. And, you know, the fact is it's kind of interesting that, the you know, the, the person said that people don't want, you know, turf sprinters and that if you look at the the cards at, at Gulfstream in particular, turf sprints are, are dominate the cards in a lot of ways. And, uh, I mean, 20 years ago, you couldn't barely find turf sprints in this country. They just didn't run very many. And now they, they have, they're, they're a, a big part of, of the, the Florida program, uh, in South Florida, Tampa doesn't run a whole lot, but, um, but Gulfstream runs a ton of turf sprints and, uh, certainly people, uh, don't mind having turf sprinters because those races also fill and, and they fill with, with you know, good field, good sized field. So they're they're going to remain popular because, um, you know, races that fill these days when, when we're kind of short on horses, those are the races that the racing office is going to continue to use again and again and again. And and the fact that Bouchera was a, a tough horse that that you know lasted till he was six years old. He made a, a ton of starts and he was versatile. I mean. You know he's a natural fit, and uh, I mean certainly you guys have given him a shot. And uh, sometimes I, I laugh because um, Richard Galpin was was a really great bloodstock agent and helped me a, a tremendous amount when I first started out, and unfortunately passed away. Um, and, and honestly, I think my career would have maybe had a different arc had he not passed away because he was really really helping me a lot. And uh, he, he told me one time I'm talking about stallions, and he said. Eh. You want to know about stallions? I said, yeah. He goes, if you just if you just knock every one of them, he goes, you'll be right ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I said, it's he goes, it's true. He goes, they they almost never make it, and it doesn't. You know, it, it's been hard to t- try to figure out like why a horse like into mischief turns into into mischief, and why a horse like um, you know Coronado's Quest or, or Orb. Um, you know, a horse, a really well-bred, good-looking horse with, with all kinds of credentials and the humans to support him don't turn out to be good stallions. Or, 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 I mean, not, not I mean, in Orb's case, he, he was just, you know, he was bad. I mean, he just, he's had one, one greatest stake winner out of like five or six crops. And uh, it's just, it's, you know, it, it's hit or miss. But like, uh, you got, what, 291 uh, mares bred the first two years? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had we had 291 the first uh, the first two, and we we were in the 80s in his third year, which is um, you know usually a tough bubble year. So we've been just absolutely thrilled with you know with the continued support in in, in Florida. And you know you you bring up two two things in what you were saying. One, I will say what's very very interesting about Bucaro is is 
his best rag, rag number was actually dirt sprinting. And I think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of people in Florida were excited about. You know, you get the versatility, like you said, uh, you know, maybe it's a dirt sprinter, maybe it's a, it's a turf sprinter. And again, he, you know, he won multiple stakes going long in the dirt. So the turf sprint is a neat thing to have because if your horse ends up not being a dirt horse and, you know, and can't run on the turf, you know, you'll, you'll lose a lot of options in Florida. So I think that is something the breeders see as a huge benefit to Bucaro that you don't see in a lot of stallions. Um, but really, the, the getting into the, you know, what makes or doesn't make a stallion, obviously, just, I mean, people are way smarter than me and have been in this business much longer, I'm sure, have pondered this. The, the thing I continue to hang my hat on until I'm proven wrong is the X, you know, that X factor um, of, the competitive spirit. I really do wonder, uh, you know, we can see this in professional athletes, right? Uh, we were just all watching the masters. Um, you know, is there a sport in golf, like golf where the, there is, it's hard to say, well, that person is just so physically talented. That's why he wins all the time. You know, the, the, the physical attribute of, of golf um, is not as much of the variable. And it really comes tremendously down to their mental uh, attitude. Um, and I was much more, I watched the master, I was much more like a Jordan Spieth, you know, yelling at myself. And this is probably why I'm, I'm a 90 golfer, not a 70s golfer. Um, uh, and then you look at some of these other guys who can control this or have that competitive spirit. And I do often wonder uh, uh, that about horses. Um, and you were around them far more than I, uh, far more than I've ever been. But, uh, you know, whether or not some of these stallions are such tremendous physical specimens that they have success on the racetrack solely on that. Uh, and then there's others that maybe carry on a mental attribute that they can pass to their offspring um, that can overcome a weaker physical um, and have more sustained success throughout their horses. Because, and I go to Cantheros, um, you know, Cantheros has just risen from, again, he's a $5,000 stallion his first year in, in Florida um, to being just a go-to stallion in Kentucky. And when you ask people about the Cantheros babies, no one says, boy, it's a, you know, this is a derby-looking horse. I mean, I'm not knocking Cantheros, but they're just athletes. They're just racehorses. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of comments you get about Cantheros offspring. That, they just that, run. It's so true. And I mean, you, you, when you looked at, that. if you looked at some of the mares that Cantheros was bred to his first couple of years, I mean, you're talking about white type specials, you know, like, mm -hmm. like mares that didn't produce anything. And with Cantheros, they produced uh, winners and, and he gets winners and, and his horses run and they run a lot. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's true though, what you're saying, it's like, there's that X factor of, um, of trying real hard, like Tappet, right? Okay, Tappet is known for getting flighty horses, uh, horses that are just, you know, sometimes their own worst enemy, but they try hard. And the ones that don't try hard don't, you know, you, you'll see Tappets that could be 25, 30 lengths every race, and it's just they just give up. They don't, you know, they don't have that. And I think that's the most, that that's what keeps uh, Sheikh Mohammed from, from winning all the races every year by just buying all the best horses because there's that, that inherent... Um, Heart, I guess it's more than anything that you can't really tell. Uh, you can look at the physical attributes of a horse, 
you know, you can see how they walk. You can, you know, measure the biomechanics. You can measure um, the, I know they do the heart measures and they, they do all kinds of analysis. But in the end, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still, until you get them out there, until they run, um, you know, against other horses that are, that are going fast, not in a controlled workout, you never really do know. I mean, and the fact is that I had a lot of horses who I thought were better than they actually turned out to be, you know, they kind of disappointed, but I almost never had one that I didn't think was any good that turned out to be really good. Like that almost never happens, but there's quite a few that in the mornings they did everything perfectly and they looked great. And they, you know, they changed leads. They, they took dirt. They always broke sharp. There was never any issues. They always outworked other, you know, other older horses and you put them in a race and they would turn into a pumpkin. Um, and you know, a lot of times there's just no rhyme or reason as to why, other than like you said, that internal, um, will, and it's it's something that you really can't measure, and, and 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 it's a good thing you can't because if there was a way of measuring that, then the the guys with the most money would just buy up all the horses that had it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I mean, remember one thing: Sheikh Mohammed's won the same amount of derbies as you and me. So, <laughs> of course, yeah, now he's won uh, a lot. They've won. He's won a lot of other big races. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was one of the ones that he is. Uh, I was going to say. It, it is, there's six. There's six thousand people that own authentic that can say the same thing. No, they can't say the same thing. They they got it over Sheikh Mohammed. But uh, uh, that's right. I mean, listen, we're pe- we're poking fun at B Wayne Hughes and really, you know, mega wealthy people, and he doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care that we're poking fun at him. But uh, no, it's it's. Uh, I, I hope that that he turns out to be good for you guys. And the fact of the matter is, you did the one thing that you can do, and that is you got him a lot of chances. So he's going to have a lot of opportunities to come up with good horses, whether they, you know, he does or he doesn't. That's, you know, that, that, that remains to be seen. That's part of, of, like you said, the, the X factor of putting them on the racetrack and seeing what they got. But the fact is that, you know, you, you got him a lot of chances. And uh, if he doesn't turn out to be a good stallion, it's not for lack of trying. And that's and that's we go all the way back to what I said before about when when you can look at these horses like they're your kid trying to play a sport. You know, all, all I can do is um, is is kind of put him in the right spot. And 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 the things that he delivered to me, uh, you know, in his career, um, I owed him every ounce of my effort um, to, to give him that chance. And and I will say, uh, you know. A lot of his success will also be due to the breeders in Florida um, and the passion that they have for making seriously quality racehorses. You know, I, I often say that about Florida. You know, when you look in the PPs on a Saturday uh, nationwide, um, you know, uh, most of the time, if it's not a Kentucky bred, it's a Florida bred. Um, I, there's something, you know, there's definitely something about the Florida breads that uh, allows them to elevate to the national level. And, and a lot of them are not from, uh, you know, kind of classic uh, Lexington mares. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I think everybody who breeds and everyone who raises a racehorse, uh, I'm sure, puts in a, a, an absolute tremendous amount of, uh, of time and effort and passion into it. But I, I will say I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with how excited the breeders are uh, that have their Bucaro babies and how, how optimistic they are. And I think they're all going to give uh, these babies the best chance they have to uh, succeed. Yeah, that, that's all you can do. You know what? I mean, 
you give them the opportunity, you get the babies out there and uh, put them in the race, see how they run, and 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 that uh, you know that's the thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, there's only so much we can do. I mean, at at, at one point, like once once we put the jockeys up and they go out to the track, it's 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 out of our hands. And uh, you know, like I said, hopefully he he turns out to to have some some real runners in his first crop and, and turns into a big success. Um, you know, we're, that's we're, the plan. We're certainly rooting for you, Harlan. Um, so Iron Horse Racing, it's uh, ihracing.com is your website. And you're going to be um, at the sale next week, uh, at the April sale. So if people want to uh, kind of follow along and, and see what you guys bought, uh, will you have updates on Twitter or Facebook or, or somewhere? Absolutely. Once, as as I, I mentioned, we, we have a no markup model, which actually allows, it's a little different than some of the other syndicates, which allows people to come into the partnership prior to purchase and pay no markup at all. So whatever we pay um, uh, at the auction, they get to pay, which is unique uh, to, to a lot of the syndicates. Um, if after, we still are going to sell shares as a smaller uh, markup, really just to pay for our marketing. Um, and usually, hopefully, we'll, we sell those out in the next uh, 15 or 30 days after we purchase. And we'll post all of that on our social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, I'm, 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 I'm getting close to making a TikTok. It's a very fun, seems like a very fun <laughs> platform. But for now, those are our three social media platforms. I, I haven't, I, I've resisted the, I haven't gone there yet, but it's probably, <laughs> it's probably inevitable. You'll see me making some stupid dancing videos, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what I'm sure everybody wants to see a truck Simon, uh, TikTok dancing video. Oh man. How well on that note, <laughs> uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and telling us about, uh, about you know your story and, and Iron Horse Racing and and, and Bushero and uh, like I said we'll we'll be rooting for you and, and following along and uh, um, give a shout out to to Phil Hager who's your bloodstock advisor and he's up there now kind of scouring the grounds. Yes, so, and he's yeah. I, I just spoke to him before we got on. It was a long day. So it was ninety eight up there. So he's he has definitely put in the hard work. So uh, yes. I'm looking forward to to putting together. Uh, Go, putting together a plan for next week. Yes, summer is uh, summer's here. Summer comes early down here in Florida, so uh, it might still be cold and might get flurries other places, but it's not here. It's summer. So, well, all right. Well, great, uh, great having you on. And, and again, best of luck next week. Uh, hope you guys come out with a couple winners, and uh, we'll be following the Bucheros as uh, as they advance in their careers. I really appreciate it, Chuck. Thanks for having me. All right, Alan. thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. That was Harlan, um, uh, Malter, Iron Horse Racing, good guy, really passionate about the business, uh, does the right thing, has has a really nice setup the way he's doing it. Uh, he, he's trying to uh, make the people who invest in his horses uh, ha- have a great experience and, um, you know, trying to keep the expenses down he has them with uh you know a a plus trainers all his trainers are, are are good trainers reputable guys good try you know guys who win races and uh you know good guys so we give him two thumbs up um iron horse racing and uh Bouchero, he's got a ton of horses a ton of horses so um they'll be in the the entry box starting next year you'll you'll see a lot of Boucheros at gulfstream in in the in the summertime and uh uh, you know, he was a pretty good horse. He he really was kind of uh, uh, 
you know, like you said, the focus is on younger horses in, in this country, and then he did most of his best running as an older horse and then some turf sprints, but uh, he's going to have a shot. And then, you know, if they come out running like his, like his, uh, like the Cantheros has did, well, those guys might be sitting on, on something big. Uh, I do want to thank Kenny McPeak for coming on, being his usual blunt self and and uh, talking about the issues and, and uh, wish him luck with Swiss Skydiver this uh, Saturday in her big matchup. Uh, kind of uh, harkens back to the days when, when, when guys ran horses and nobody ducked. Uh, so the Apple Blossom will be, uh, if, if, you're, if you're not aware, you should be aware. The 11th race at Oaklawn on Saturday goes off about 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central. Um, it's going to be a, a classic race between, uh, like I said, arguably the two best horses in the country. Um, can't get better than that. Uh, I want to thank Casey. I want to thank everybody who listened, uh, all the people who have subscribed to the Going in Circles Digest. Uh, the numbers keep growing, and uh, we appreciate it, and um, we'll try to do more. Um, Joe V's got a, a restaurant recommendation for next week, <laughs> so uh, we might even have that out for this uh, the end of this week, um, Joe likes to eat, and uh, we'll uh, we don't have any Breeders' Cup preps to uh, to um, the preview. Um, maybe we'll do a little uh, Apple Blossom preview. But uh, the Going in Circles Digest you can find it uh, on our Facebook page, Going in Circles, or you can find it uh, on my Twitter at Cannon Shell. Um, and just click a button, put your email address in there, subscribe, and it'll get sent directly to your inbox every time we publish. All right, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Why, in the past decade, has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. Mr. Bytus. Hello, Chuck. Thank you for uh, for filling in on the Big Monday show. Uh, Barry is is a little bit under the weather, and uh, we needed a, a fill in, and, and you are the perfect person. Yeah, I'm always uh, willing to come out of the bullpen for you guys, and uh, we're hoping that Barry feels uh, better. Yes, sir. Yeah, he. Uh... Talked to him yesterday, and he didn't. He didn't sound so good, and Oof. and uh, he kind of went. Uh, I guess he went to the doctor and got all checked out, and nothing too bad. But uh, he's gonna be under the weather and not be able to do the show tonight. So uh, I do appreciate you filling in, and I know that um, 
you know, the, our, our usual topics are things that you uh, keep on top of. Uh, certainly the Derby um, field, which is kind of changing day by day. <laughs> More horses dropping out. Um, but, um, you know, that uh, I guess we can talk a little bit about the uh, the big race at Oaklawn this past Saturday, um, the Latrushka pulling off the upset. Uh, There's a lot of hand wringing yesterday on Twitter about uh, weight and handicaps and things like that. And <clears throat> we'll get, get into that a little bit. Um, we'll pull you away from the Yonkers card, the big Yonkers, the uh, <laughs> Orgata, formerly known as the Levy Knight. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Yonkers is like inscrutable for me. I, I, I can't figure out what's going to happen, I, you know. It just—it's hard to figure out how the races are going to go, yeah. and, uh, and and invariably I get beat up the rail like you did earlier today. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah, it's very tricky, and uh, it's a true puzzle now as uh, compared to uh, yesteryear, where horses would just jump onto the front end and basically wire to wire. So uh, I'm sure the fans that do uh, play Yonkers are more appreciative of the fairer racing that's going on today. True, true. It, it's just odd that, um, you know, Mondays become this big, big night for Yonkers. <laughs> and, you know, in the old days, obviously Saturday night was always the, was always the, the, the day, uh, you know, the night that they had the big races on. But, you know, things change and they, they've got a kind of a different place in the wagering menu. And, I mean, nobody wants to, go ahead and head with the Meadowlands basically anymore. And um, you know, they, they, the Meadowlands is still strong. I mean, they're handling three and a half million a night and it's not as though they have great cards. Um, I, I know that uh, this time of the year when every, you know, Pocono opens up and Yonkers is still going strong and uh, some of the other tracks are open. It just, there's just not that many horses and, and they're, they're actually benefiting a little bit from the influx of, uh, of some of the horses coming out of Mohawk because those guys up there are really getting screwed by the government, you know, shutting them down for, for just no reason at all. But uh, it was kind of crazy that they were allowing like shopping malls to be open and they were allowing people to golf and you can play hockey, but you can't have horse racing, which, which just is, uh, it's nuts. It is insane. I mean, I saw that uh, Joe Jameson is going to come over and drive I forgot where he's going to drive, but I saw Bob McClure was at uh, Meadowlands Saturday. So I'm sure you're going to get a big influx of the Canadians coming over to where we're at. And, you know, it's a little bit easier for harness horses to ship. I mean, they're used to shipping. Most of them mm -hmm. are, are based off of not at a racetrack. So they're, they ship all, to run all the time anyways. But uh, and probably for the drivers as well. But, you know. We haven't quite heard a whole lot about uh, about Woodbine, anyone leaving there. I mean, I know Mark Cassie's got um, 45 there, and, and supposedly he's not bringing any more there. They're, they're going to stay. He's got a whole bunch more that he would be sending up, but they're just going to hold off on those um, until they have some clarity as to when it, you know they're going to start racing again. But uh, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that, that we start seeing some some of the Canadian horses, uh, you know, that were prepped down south that are going up there ready to run, they, they might uh, they might wind up shipping back down 
across the border and try to find a spot to, to just get started. Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to see uh, horses running at Churchill and Belmont from, you know, Canada. Some of the, you know, better horses, especially Derby Week when you're dealing with a lot of those stakes. I'm sure that people that were looking at stake races to run at the Woodbine will probably look to go elsewhere. Yeah, it's 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 really tough when uh, when you just don't have any idea what you know when things are going to get back going. It's, it's hard enough. I mean, it's it's hard enough to keep horses sound and, and training and you know keep them at the top of their game, but to, to like have no idea when you're going to be able to run that that's just uh, it's just really tough. And and they're literally the only jurisdiction in the world. <laughs> I read a, a piece from a guy in Toronto, one of the Toronto papers, and. And he made that point. He said, there's racing all over the world. And this is the literally the only jurisdiction that, that's, that stopped racing again. And it's, uh, I feel bad for those guys because, you know, it's, they're in a tough spot. And I mean, nobody wants to leave home. But, I mean, I don't know what else you can do. Yeah, it was like last year when they shut down New York, I started panicking. And Jose, you know, the ride. So, I mean, Churchill was running. So... We actually went down there until, you know, New York said they were going to open back up. So, you know, I feel for the horsemen in Woodbine. Yeah. Um, moving over to Oakland, what did – I mean, obviously, you know, there was a lot of billing. There was a lot of buildup for the race. It was, you know, kind of billed as a two-horse race, even though Latrushka um, – you know, she didn't quite have the credentials of the other two, but she was, you know, just a, a tad bit behind. Um, but she's in, you know, career best form as well. And and she's got that one thing that uh, that always makes a horse dangerous and, and that she's got speed. Um, there was some curious decisions made in that race in the, the going into the first turn after Latrushka really didn't break that sharp. Um you know, Swiss Skydiver broke really sharp, and, and, and Alvarado looked like he was sending her, like he was going to take control of the race and go to the lead. And then as they approached the turn, he, he almost looked like Florent Drew did on Cottle River a couple of weeks back. And he took back, and then he made a couple different moves in the race. And, I mean, what was your impression of that? I mean, when... I was absolutely shocked because, like everyone else, I just figured Matruska would break on, you know, control things into the first turn as Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver would find their positions. So, like you said, when Swiss Skydiver just completely outbroke Latruska, I thought that maybe Alvarado would try to take the race to everyone because he basically got a head start. And, you know, I assumed front end like you you know everyone thought he would and in in that time was actually able to steal the second quarter because they yeah. went a pokey 24 and 2 into the second quarter and I think that was the reasoning why Latruska was able to come back and win the race you know because of that soft second quarter on the backside you know at the five eights uh, that you know, there was some room in Latruska for Swiss Skydiver, Swiss Skydiver, but there's no way. I mean, Alvarado couldn't possibly have 
thought that I read was going to let him through at that point in the race. You know, it was interesting that after the the race, immediately after the race, a lot of people were were actually criticizing French Row. And I really don't know what he did wrong. I mean, he, he kind of rode the race that uh, he always does on the Philly. He actually got about, looked like he got about a neck in front. Um, and, I mean, you could certainly make the case that, that Irad outrode him the last 100 yards. But, uh, I mean, Irad outrode just about everybody the last 100 yards. I mean, he's guys in a zone. Um, and I just, I really didn't have any any issues with with what he did i mean maybe he could have taken the tour a little earlier i I don't really have any um any qualms on the way he rode the horse and but i I just think that um i mean certainly i read is in is in the you know i mean he's riding with supreme confidence and and that was one of the things that i thought about regarding alvarado in that it's not that alvarado hasn't won a lot of races he's won thousands of races and you know tons of money and I mean, he's ridden Curly. He's ridden a lot of good horses. But the thing is, the guy's not riding a lot anymore. And you know that the Irad is as confident of a rider as there is. And one of the reasons he's winning all the time. Um, and you just think a guy's got a different mindset. Now, you work with jockeys, you know, for well, 25 years. So you know how they think. I mean, that confidence that you know that you're on a good horse and you know that you're going to be there um, opposed to a guy like Alvarado who has literally one big horse and he's got a lot of time to overthink things. Uh, I mean, do you think that plays a factor? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the comparison I would make, Chuck, would be a baseball player that plays every day and he gets four at-bats, four to five at-bats a game Versus a guy that's just going to come in and like kind of pinch hit. I mean, that's like a huge difference because one guy is in the flow, you know, and the other guy is just coming in off the bench. I think, you know, I read he's riding day in, day out. He's winning day in and day out. He's in the zone. You know, it's a, it played a huge difference. But one thing I do want to say, Chuck, is that I don't think anyone in the world – from the quarter pole hole, thought Monomoy girl could lose that race. I mean, I'm still in shock, actually, that Latruska came back and beat her. But I don't want to knock Monomoy girl. She's a she's a champion. She's an incredible animal. She has an unbelievable record. But to me, this year, I just don't think she's quite as good. She just lost maybe a mile or two on a fastball. It looks like to me, toward the end of the race, if you watch, she's not fully extending. Now, she's not a poetic type. She carries her head a little high here. It looks to me like she's carrying her head a wee bit higher. It looks to me like she's not fully extending quite like she did last year. And if you add all of those factors up, that was the difference to me in the nose defeat. You know, you watch her her first race of the year in the the comeback race, and it was in the slop. Um, and she kind of raced similarly, and she didn't like blow them away. No. Um, and she's a really good horse. I mean, obviously, it's hard enough. It's hard <laughs> to criticize a horse who's fourteen for sixteen lifetime. Who's got 
you know, one now two horses have finished ahead of her. One was three years ago, and and the other one was by a nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that she is is um, fortunate in that that. Uh, I mean, going into the race, I wrote a little piece about mm-hmm. it. And you look at the thoroughgraph sheets, right? She's only a little bit better than these other two horses. And that was the thing is, it wasn't like she runs minus ones. The other horses, like uh, Swiss Skydiver, on two occasions ran a minus one. Uh, Latrushka runs zeros. So, yeah, she's a little faster. But, you know, the, the sheets also take into consideration weight. And she's always carrying, you know, high weight. Um, so again, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just saying that, you know, even as great as she is, it's not like she's, she was five lengths better than these horses. Um, and like you said, she might be a couple lengths better or a length better. And now coming back for, as a six-year-old, you know, I mean, horses do kind of lose it. I mean, we saw a lot of horses, great horses, horses that raced, of course, a lot more than she has. Um, but winning colors and, and uh, um, Lady Secret come to mind as two fillies who at, at one point just, you know, didn't run as well. And of course, it's not that she didn't run well. I mean, she ran well. I mean, it's, you know, she ran a good race. She ran a race. She just got beat. And that happens. And I guess it's more, I guess I mean, it's I, more the way she got beat, Chuck, because she actually, it wasn't like she didn't get there. She actually put her head in front. And you know she yeah. didn't couldn't put her away. Didn't really show the eye of the tiger. Yeah, yeah that that was that was a little surprising to me. And um, I guess like I said, I'm not you know we're not saying she ran bad, but like you said, she may not be quite as good as, as she was um, before. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about you know possibly running against the the, the boys. And and the fact of the matter is. She's the rare top, top horse, you know, top of the line, who, uh, who whose value has already been predetermined, meaning that she can't really increase her value anymore. She was bought for nine and a half million bucks. You know, she's a mare. She's having one full year. She's not going to be worth more than nine and a half million dollars. You know, B. Wayne News is not going to sell her. So what she does, win, lose, or draw, really doesn't affect her value at all because you know, next year she's going to be bred and, and uh, that's, that's all there is to it, you know? And so they have a, a chance to, to make a couple statements um, and, and try, maybe try again, you know, running against the boys or something like that. But uh, somebody brought it up and, and honestly, I hadn't thought about it, but it was, it's kind of an intriguing thought of, of maybe cutting her back to a mile and trying to met mile where she's going to get weight because she's a Philly. Um, and, uh, you know, see how that goes. Because, you know, even as great as she is, uh, you think of, 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 like, some of the great Phillies of the past. Um, almost all of their wins, their, like, career-defining wins, are at least, you know, one of their top wins was against boys. Serena Song, Lady Secret, uh, Personal Ensign, um, uh, Winning Colors in the Derby. Uh, you know, like... Genuine so, Risk. <laughs> genuine risk right i mean um you know there, there's been a lot of fillies that uh, have have taken on the boys and, and beat them and to be honest if 
those three Phillies had run in uh, the million. What was that race the, on the undercard? The uh, the Razorback. Oh, it's a million yeah, dollar race. Yeah. That uh, they're better than those horses. <laughs> you know, they're better than those boys. And maybe those those horses aren't the upper echelon of of our uh, handicapped horses, but um, you know. Our best two handicapped horses, probably Charlatan and, and Nick's go, and they're, they're they're both you know coming off defeats. So I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting. I, I I would just you know the one thing I, I it always bothered me about Zenyatta was that they kept running against those same crappy fillies in California time and time and time. You know, again. on Poly Track too. And yeah, they never they never like tried her on the turf. I, I always thought the Beverly D would have been the perfect spot for her because they had that, you know, at Arlington for the million. They always put the, uh, you know, the the what do they call it, the the million uh, lane. So you had that big sweeping turn, and I mean, could you imagine her kick on, on the turf? I mean, it could be pretty scary. <laughs> Western fame got off the rail. <laughs> it's amazing. The rail at Yonkers is dead. I told you. It's, 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 that's like something that's never happened before. I think they, I the think they added dirt or something. I don't know. It's like the like it's like the rail at parks being locked. I, I told like, you oh, they did something in his track. I watched races on Monday nights, and I saw some things that I haven't seen in the past. It's weird. But you were right about Western Fame. Yeah. yeah. We'll see if I can hit the pick three. No. I, I played against the, the big Philly in the next race. Yeah, it's an open race. I used Blue Ivy. Race. I used the Blue Ivy. Or... Be sharp. But, um, you know, going back to, you know, Phillies against boys. I mean, in the Trotters, it's like not even that big of a deal. I mean, More. you get the Philly like like Manchego and uh, um, Phillies like Hanover Hanover. I mean, um, they just they did it like as a matter of course. They're best oars a lot of times. In time. Europe, in the thoroughbreds, they don't bat an eyelash when, you know, a Philly or mare takes on the boys. No, they don't. They don't. And honestly, I, you know, segueing from there, one of the things about European racing is that uh, two things matter way more there than they do here. And number one is the ground. Those people obsess over the ground. I mean, they're like total compulsive, you know, uh, all the ground, the ground, the ground. That's all they talk about. Uh, the second thing is weights. And that was one of the other, you know, uh, topics of conversation after Saturday's um, the results. No one was talking about it before the race, but after the race, everyone wanted to talk about it. And a lot of people are against handicaps. And I mean, I said to be honest with you, she probably wasn't even fairly weighted. She probably should, she probably should have been giving that horse more weight, um, considering what her record is versus the other Phillies' record. But horses, even in handicaps now, they just don't give them very much weight. Uh, you know, you go back 25 or 30 years, the three Phillies that were the all they'd have been in a 108, <laughs> 107 in that race. 
you'd have to get Richard Prevatera off the uh, the soup line <laughs> to uh, to ride. <laughs> Funny story, Richard Prevatera. He's about two foot six. He he, he he challenged me to a fight one time after a race. He got beat on an Oscar Barrera horse, and I, and I I I said I might have said something like you know. I, I even I could win on Oscar's horses, and he didn't like it. He wanted to fight me, and like I said, he was literally like two foot six. He weighed about seventy five pounds. Yeah, you couldn't take that seriously. But um, <laughs> no, it's kind of funny actually. I was about yeah. fifteen, but I was about fifteen and towered over him. Um, but you know, you you look back at some of the weights in the in, God, I hate to even say the <laughs> old days, but uh, like a horse like John Henry, okay. Even though it seems like a lifetime ago when he was running, he carried, I think, 11 times he carried 128 pounds or more. I think he carried 130 pounds or more like six times. Um, and there was horses in those races in, in one to 110, 112. So, I mean, these were literal handicaps where, where the horses were getting 15, 20 pounds. And, of course, Latrushka wouldn't have gotten 20 pounds, but... If you had if you had brought a, a Lenny Hale from uh, 1985 in to handicap that race, uh, Monomoid Girl would have been carrying 129 yeah. <laughs> or thereabouts, and Serta uh, Swiss Skydiver probably would have been one about 122, um, and Latrushka probably would have been about 116. But um, you know, these days that that just doesn't happen. There's no spread hardly, and and the bottom is, is much higher because there just aren't that many jockeys that can do, on the, you know, the low weights. So they don't even bother trying. But, uh, I, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I first started training, when you were working for me back at Churchill, you remember in the beginning of the meet, they would write three-year-olds against older horses. And they do it earlier than they used to, probably mostly because there's a, more of a horse shortage now. But I remember... If you could get Pat Day to ride a three-year-old, you would get Pat Day at 108, and the four-year-old would carry 122. And it was such a big advantage. You were getting Pat Day in 14 pounds. Yeah, getting, getting Pat, getting Day, Pat Day period was an advantage. Right. So now you're getting him with, like, 14 pounds. And guys would be like, ah, I don't like to ride my three-year-olds against the older horses this time of year. I'm like, dude, you get Pat Day and get 14? Because, you know... Some of the other jockeys couldn't do the 108 anyways. I mean, there's no point. You get 108 and the jock that comes in at 113, well, what difference? You know, <laughs> Defeats the purpose. That, just, yeah. that kind of blows it all up. Right. But, um, you know, Pat was always a natural lightweight, and, and that was just, just a huge advantage. I mean, you know, weight does matter to some extent. It's hard to, like, quantify it. Um, I, I know that when Sky Beauty carried 130 pounds, and the chief said this. He said that race gutted her. Um, she won. I think it was the Hempstead, and she won, and she beat two other good fillies. She was life uh, and that life race and really death took a lot. To it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was uh, you know, it's a lot. It, it, it's a lot. It, it's it, it matters more than I think some people think it does. But there's so few actual. I mean, there's not that many handicaps left, and the, even the handicaps we have, they're really not, you know, they're not weighted that much. I think Zenyatta carried 128 or 129. Yeah, they just don't. They, um, but they she don't was. Put, again, you know, 
a lot of weight on horses anymore. I mean, if you see a horse carry 126, that's about top weight, right? Do you remember that they used to have a rule in New York, um, and it was the mandatory highway, and that was that every handicap had to have at least the, the highway had to be at least 126. It could be yeah. higher, but that was the starting point. That the, the horse, whoever was weighted the highest, carried 126, and they weighed him right. from there. Um, you know, which is something these days never happens. Uh, I, I'll be honest; I'm surprised that we haven't seen a change in the Triple Crown races. Um, and I'm to be honest, to be totally honest, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I wouldn't cry about it, but. You know, taking those horses off of 126, you know, making it making it maybe 123, uh, because there's virtually no other uh, there's there's very few other times that they're going to be asked to carry that kind of weight. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they. You know, won't, I'm sure think? they won't do. You know, they won't mess with tradition. But I mean, I, I'm okay with the 126. I I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I don't think that if a horse doesn't win a derby, you know, I'm going to blame it on the weight. I mean, I hear what you're saying about carrying the weight and, you know, going that far first times, you know, in basically all their lives, but I, I, I'm just a trust. Well, I, I've been harping on this for months now, and I think that, you know, now that we're having a a pretty good idea of who's going to be in this derby field. I would feel pretty safe to say this is the least prepared group of horses to ever compete in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I mean, can't argue with that. There, there's literally maybe a handful of horses that have had, um, you know, even a decent amount of preparation. Yeah. Oh. Uh, some of them are coming in off of one race this year. And I mean, I, I just. I just can't fathom that, that they're going to run well. The thing that's kind of hard to fathom is there's a possibility it's not a full gate. I mean, that would really be wild in my book. I never thought we would see a derby run with less than 20 horses. No, right, without without like a, a late defection or a right, you know, yeah, morning of the race yeah. scratch. No, I mean, 20 like you know, would be on the program. And, and a lot of the ones that are drawing in now – these are these are just you know desperate just uh, prayers. Yeah, I mean, someone on Twitter was or on Facebook was talking about who was going to ride uh, Sainthood. <laughs> I said I got Sainthood down in the, in the future book for thirteenth place. He's, he's the he's the future book favorite to run thirteenth. Uh, it's. Um, I think the the way the Derby preps, uh, and and this year might be a little different just because of the COVID situation last year, and and I, I know that uh, some guys got their horses a little bit later in the season, the two year olds, but there's that this is this trend has been has been happening with lightly raced horses racing lighter and lighter and lighter, and just trying to get there, and I think the Derby point system is screwed up and needs to be fixed. Because it just the early preps just have have no bearing anymore, um, and and I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake on Churchill's part. I think that um, 
what they've done is create these lottery tickets. But, you know, the last seven or eight preps, they're just lottery tickets. And guys are playing a lottery with them. They're bringing, you know, horses who are under-credentialed or not credentialed. They're, they're running them in these races against a bunch of other horses who weren't really uh, seasoned. And, and they're hitting the board. And, and all of a sudden, they weren't even basically on the derby trail. And all of a sudden, now they're in the derby. And I think that if you spread the points out a little bit um, more equitable, and I, uh, Barry and I talked about this a couple times, about making the, the January and February preps 25 points, then the March preps 50, and then the late ones are 75, where a horse could have a three-race campaign um, and get a little bit better preparation for the race. And I think that you'll see better, you know, horses coming out of the race in a little better fashion because, you know, every year the derbies more and more seems to be like carnage, like half of them we never hear from again. And I really think that the lack of seasoning and the lack of experience and, and just the lack of fitness, I don't know how you can get a horse ready to run a hundred uh, a mile and a quarter race carrying 126 pounds in a, in a even an 18 or 19 or 20 horse field, working them half miles with one race in five months. I just don't know how you can get your horse fit enough doing that. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a secret trick to it, but it just seems like guys treat this as it's a normal race and it's, it's so not a normal race. Yeah. It just seems like uh, every year after year now, the horses come in with less and less foundation. They do. And, and it's, it's uh I think the point system has something to do with it. I think that a lot of the big trainers have owners that want to make the Derby and making the Derby is their goal. And I think some of them think, well, there's 20 horses in the race. Only one wins it. So let me just get there and then we'll see what happens, you know, kind of see how it shakes out. And I understand that. And I understand uh, where they're coming from, because these people are buying, um, you know, spending lots of money on horses or, or spending lots of money breeding horses and you know, getting to the Derby is their goal. So, you know, I, I, I understand why they do it. It just seems um, it just seems like a lot of really good horses get grinded up because they're asked to do a little too much. Uh, and we see how some of these mile and an eighth prep races have like spread eagle the field. Um, so, you know, think about adding, you know, adding more distance and, and more of a, of a of a chaotic race. I mean, the Santa Anita handicap or Derby, excuse me. Uh, I think five horses got beat twenty five lengths or worse. So, it's, um, you know. I, I, I do think it's a factor. I, I just don't know. I don't know if Churchill cares. To nah, be honest with they you. just want a full gate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they made the, the Turfway preps worth more points when they yeah, bought the track. I mean, that's insanity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, remember, the Illinois Derby was a key – was was sort of a key derby prep race until 
they bought it and they were pissed off at, at Hawthorne. So they, 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 they excluded the, the Illinois Derby from the point system and basically killed the Illinois Derby. I mean, heck, so, you had a war emblem win it not too long ago and uh, then was sold and actually won the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that was, uh, who, who's this year's war emblem? Who went back <laughs> I don't know, but he's going to have to find one quick. He's running out of time. Full disclosure, I got I, I have I have future book tickets on Medina Spirit. Yeah, well, your Rombauer tickets are a bit to dust. I'm really pissed off. I mean, that was interesting. He actually qualified, and they uh, still didn't take a shot. That's not only did he not did he qualify, he actually kind of fit in this mm-hmm. race. He's improving. The distance should be within his capabilities. They they skipping it because the guy doesn't want to pay the entry. <laughs> that's unheard of, really. I mean, uh, that, that's probably that never happened unheard. in the history of the race. Not 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 since maybe the eighteen hundred. Never heard of an old not wanting to go to the Derby that qualified, unless obviously something's wrong with the horse. No, they're pointing to Preakness too. Exactly. See that—that's interesting. This year, you have a lot of horses that are skipping the Derby to run in the Preakness. You never see that. The Preakness might be a tougher race. There might be better horses per horse in the Preakness, and the fourteen horses that get in the gate for the Preakness in the Kentucky I, Derby. I would agree with you. I mean, there are a lot of horse in the Derby that just absolutely like. I mean, you—you you wouldn't know them without a scorecard. Yeah, no, you definitely need a scorecard. There was a great. I, I did this. I do this digest. You know this, this newsletter every week, and sometimes I do it a couple times a week. And last week I did it, and I I always put a video. You know, like a a video of the week. And I found a a great video. And a lot of the older videos are grainy, or they're you know they're taped off of a TV you know set, so um, they're not so you know they're a little <laughs> annoying to watch. Sometimes the picture's not so great. The sound's not so great. But I found one from the 1978 mm-hmm. Kentucky Derby, and and it was actually really really good. It, it was very very clear, and the sound was perfect. And even better, it was edited like they had cut out all the, like the nonsense and and the um, all the commercials and stuff. And it was it was great because Howard Cosell was on there, and I don't I'm, I'm sure you don't remember the 1978 Derby outside of a firm beating Alley Dark. But there was like four or five good horses in the race. It was a affirmed Alidar, uh, Sensitive Prince, Believe It, uh, and Darby Creek Road. And then there was four or five horses that were all like <laughs> 99 to 1. Richard DePasser actually rode one. Um, and Howard Cosell right. did the post parade. <laughs> and he does the greatest. Uh, <laughs> I think I've heard it. I've heard it because uh, I did watch the the whole show. Really good interview on the chief in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, interviewed them all. Um, And and John Veach, who looked like he was about 14. Um, But but Howard Gostell in the post parade, like just dismissing some of the courts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, yeah this like, one uh, has uh, no chance. Yeah, he was he was, he was lucky <laughs> to win the last. You know, he's, I'm not going to be that sort of lucky yeah. today, or you know, something. Just 
was like, can you imagine if he did it today to be owners? Oh, like, yeah. What he said? Yeah, yeah, what he say about this horse? Cheap speed. <laughs> he looks to be cheap speed in here under veteran Donnie Brump. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it was, though. Jim McKay was, was like yeah. the perfect host. Yeah, he was the straight and, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jim McKay loved horse racing. Oh, he was like, in Maryland, horse racing yeah, he was giant. Like now they have who do they got? Mike Tarico. Mike Tarico. The only horses he ever sees are the ones that are that are trotting through Central Park. <laughs> but but Cosell was you know my dad brought me to a he worked for an insurance company and he used to insure a bunch of farms, a bunch of horse farms. So he'd always get like invites to these kind of things. And one time it was the New York Breeders Awards, and uh, Howard Cosell was the was the was the speaker. And he was great. Like, he was really great. And people forget, people that aren't of a certain age, Howard Glossell was like, he was yeah. like hated. <laughs> it was it was kind of an odd thing, but he was, was like not a, like people used to like, he was Monday Night Football. And when Monday Night Football was like the biggest show that there was. And, and people like, didn't he, didn't he, didn't like he make like some kind of derog? Oh, no, that was Jimmy Greek, right? Was it him or Jimmy? He Greek? did. He did. Uh, well, both did, of them. Him and say something direct. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jimmy I mean, back really my Jimmy Greek said like wasn't you know bag. as bad as it would be today. No, absolutely not. But I mean, Jimmy the Greek always he, it always looked like he was half in the yeah. bag. He always looked like he was. You just he just had a couple shots. Of <laughs> but like, one thing about the guy, he always did have a wager. <laughs> he fired. No, that was true. Yeah. I don't know if he won very often, but he, he no, did he win. definitely he did stepped bet. in. Um, but uh, yeah, just the way races were covered back then was just so much different than yeah. it is now. Even like um, Charles C. Canny and Frank Wright. Uh, I mean, they were great. They really were, and, and you know, sometimes you think, well, back back when you know we were younger, everything it was new, and maybe you think things weren't. Quite as good as they really are, but th- that was a great. Really, it was like twenty-two minutes long, and it was really just, just uh, it was, it was great. It was, it was just the way they covered the race, and uh, the interviews were good, and and uh, yeah, it was just a uh, no one, no one, not one single person talked about uh, uh, a no, bar. There were no bar numbers back then. All they had is mud, mud marks. They had the buyer had to buy. Yeah, circle the circle X. The rarely seen circle. Yeah, if we can only go back to that. <laughs> I'm telling you though, if you get a, uh, you look at the PPs now, from, uh, from from that era, and you look at the PPs now, oh man, you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> this looks like European form, you know. You get the European form, and they don't really show anything. They don't show the running lines. Or yeah, I can remember when the Racing Times tried to go up against the Daily Racing form. Yeah, the Racing Times. It yeah. was Stevie Christ and uh, um, a bunch of different guys. But you know what they did? The competition spurred a lot yeah. of changes. The Racing Times. Uh, you know, we take for granted now a lot of what we see in um, in the form in that you have horses' records at track, you have records on off tracks, you have records on turf, you have, um, uh, you know, bird, 
month of date of birth, uh, a lot more uh, pedigree information, a lot more, you know, just just yeah. so much more information now than there was. Well, it's not a dollar seventy five either. <laughs> it's also not a dollar seventy five anymore. But no, the, a lot of that was spurred on by the yeah. Racing Times because they did a lot of innovative things and they tried a lot of things. I, I love the Racing Times. I, mean, I used to, I used to get them all, but um, it, it really did. It didn't last that long. But uh, it, it changed uh, the form for the better, for sure, in that they added a lot of things that uh, that the Racing Times had, had uh, you know, been innovative with. And, um, you know, it's, like I said, it, it's, uh, it's a constantly evolving thing. And, and now there's almost, it, it's almost too much information in some ways. It's just like there's so much out there that... Uh, I mean, every single horse's derby works or girl. Well, the thing I don't like, Chuck, is back when we were younger, you could kind of dig and see horses that were running second and third, maybe out of town. They did in their next starts. They weren't in italics like they are now. They came back and won. So you you were rewarded for your, your hard work. Now you could just walk in by the form and all the work is done for you. No, there, there, there's definitely something to be said for that, and that uh, um, we used to have to work <laughs> a lot harder, get the blood yes, stock. Remember yes. the American produce yeah. records going yeah, through those, no. uh, trying to was, figure out. It was a true puzzle. You no, know. yeah, it, it's so much easier now. Um, like you said, you just uh, you open the form or you go online and you click some buttons, and then you can find. Mm. <laughs> which is about everything about a horse um you know works they're they're they have works on the xbtv does a lot of uh a lot of you know workouts i mean derby works of course are going to be like broken down 18 different ways and people will be running them backwards and they'll be doing ratings on uh, on baths all oh, this horse got a great bath the other day and I saw, uh, I'm sure you saw too, that uh, Midnight Bourbon got loose today. That was wild. Yeah, he didn't go anywhere, but it's pretty wild. No, it, it, you know, he kind of reared up and he certainly is feeling good and he got his, his leg over the shank and, I mean, that happens. Okay. I mean, it's happened oh, to all yeah. of us at one point, you know. The fact of the matter is, horses do what we want them to do only because they they let us do it. You know. <laughs> I'm mocking hope now, though. First over, first over. That speed. First speed, over is a better is trip than on the engine. Speed you laughed bad. at me. Oh, it's amazing. Speed is dead young. I mean, that, that's just... Uh, now, now you've seen it all. It's just not supposed to... I have. I've, I've, I've definitely seen it all. Tomorrow, the, the <laughs> rail will be live. At I don't know about that. No. They substituted. They brought the Yonkers rail. I don't know, rail but there's definitely something up on the inside of the track at Yonkers because... Horses do not wire the field like they once did. They did something 
to the inside of that track. There's no passing lane, so I don't know if that had something to do with it, but I've watched the races time and time again, and I was just shaking my head, and it's come to fruition. Amazing. They still don't do any money. They're yeah, 150000 It's amazing how no matter what they do, they just can't be the metal ends. No, I guess they're not just, even close. You know, a half-mile track, you know, <laughs> you draw doing... six, seven, or eight, you can almost cross a line, you know? Yeah, it, it makes it really tough. Like you said, it's... The, 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 the speed not being as quite as dominant, yeah, no it does shake about things it. up a no little question. bit. And, I mean, it used to be you could figure out the one yeah. number and yeah. just go to the bank. <laughs> the Hervé Fillion, Walter Case. Yeah, no, that's not the case anymore. Not the case. So, Aqueduct's finally over. We got Belmont. Yeah, very early early for Belmont. Belmont, Usually, Belmont will open like Derby week, not the week before. Yeah, it kind of jumped out at me, and and Mm -hmm. I I didn't even realize it. And, and, you know, I'm so used to thinking, all right, you know, they're on the main track at Aqueduct, but now there is you know, right. the main track is the only track. So so it's it's kind of strange well, to see April. Evidently Governor Cuomo thought it was a little strange to open up this early too, because he announced, I guess, on Friday that uh people would be able to come into the track at a twenty percent capacity, but opening day's Thursday. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, I'm not sure what they determined Belmont's capacity to be, but I would guess that virtually the, the, no days <laughs> are going to reach 20% no. of capacity, except no. for maybe. Well, I wish I could get down on that. But other than I that, that, there's no shot of that. Other than the Belmont, it's not <laughs> happening. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, there's been 100,000 in that place, so... <laughs> The odds of 20,000 people yeah. being there on Thursday. Uh, you couldn't even put 20,000 cardboard And it's a boot. Naira not made a statement about fans coming to the races, which is absolutely incredible. Well, I know, to be honest with you, and, and I know you guys that live right around there, you know, it affects you more than than, than everyone else, but you know, even up till before that announcement by the governor, people were still like shitting bricks about Saratoga. And, you know, there, there's a debate about how, what, what is the capacity level of Saratoga? Are, are they going to use um, like the Travers cutoff where they cut it off at 50,000 and say, all right, you can have 10,000 there? Or are they going to use the seats? Because, a, you know, a huge part of the, the, the people, the, pop, uh, the attendance for Saratoga is not people sitting in, in the grandstand or clubhouse. Yeah, the backyard and the, and the apron as well. Um, uh, it, it's you know, 10,000 sounds like it, it's interesting that 10,000, virtually any track in the country outside of uh, uh, Keeneland, Saratoga, or Del Mar, or, or Derby Week at Churchill, 10,000 will be like, you know, huge. Well, Sar- but, Saratoga, I mean, Sar- 10, Saratoga, Saratoga is the opposite of Belmont. 
you know, 10,000 Belmont, you right. know, they, they'd be life and death to get. Whereas, uh, you know, 10,000 Saratoga is a bad day. Yeah, if they get if they get ten thousand in Saratoga when they're on the, when they're going five days a week, they they, they, would, <laughs> they would jump yeah. off the grandstand. But um, well, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it all works out. I mean, this whole COVID thing is is it's been kind of mishandled in a lot of ways, and in that there's just so much confusion, and there's never anything. Uh, it doesn't seem like we get much concrete, you know, it's like you said, Naira hasn't really said anything governor, you know, threw out this percentage, but we don't know percentage of what. Um, so, I mean, they have till July to get this fixed. You would hope that they can get that. Don't, don't hold your breath. But yes, if they got, if they got, if they got 20% of capacity at Belmont. I think that uh, they would be doing, they would be yeah. break dancing yeah, in the they park. Throw a party. So, um, what's the main difference now? I mean, obviously, the Belmont main track is a mile and a half, and, and all the races, like, the, there, no, there, there are no more two turn races. No, it still stays anyway. racing, basically, because a mile and an eighth. Uh, non-existent uh, other than a couple of times for the meetup. So basically you're still around one right. turn. Uh, obviously you'll have a lot more turf, but toward the, the end of Aqueduct, they were running on a turf pretty good, a six out of nine on the, on the card. Yeah, I would expect Belmont probably wouldn't be no, much different, right? Yeah, yeah you're going to see a lot of, most, a lot of grass. A, a lot majority of now the purses have been raised to these yeah, are the highest absolutely. level I've, yet, right? Uh, they're they're huge. <laughs> purses are giant. So, uh, are oh you yeah, I, you know, I mean, before Jose got hurt, you know, I was going out there basically five days a week, and uh, now you know, I just I'm starting to get back into the swing of things. So I was out there, you know, the other days. So, you know, when, I when mean, is Jose gonna be back we're supposed to try to get him on a few horses this week. And we're tentatively pointing to, you know, Derby week, which is like the 29th there. But until he really gets on horses, you know, it's really hard to say, you know, when you're, de- you're dealing with the type of injury that he had with his shoulder. So, so we're just, you know, going to try to get him on some horses and see how he feels and, Kind of go from there. Right. How long, you know, I, I know this is just conjecture in this point, but what, what do you think about two weeks of, of galloping? And yeah, it might racing? not even be that much because he's real fit. He's been running. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, hopefully, God willing, everything goes good and we can get him back, you know, riding on the 29th, which would be – uh a week from this Thursday. That's a dream right. scenario. Oh. So, you know, cross your fingers. Sure. I mean, it's been a long time. Right, right, right. I mean, it's been, you know, it's going, I mean, the doctor told me that it would be 12 weeks and he was just about right on the money. It's coming up on 12 weeks. 
Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it'll be good to get you. It'll be good to get you back. <laughs> yeah, working. I'm getting bored here. Uh, yeah, too much yeah, Yonkers on Monday nights. Get cut out. <laughs> yeah, the, the pomp, pomp is done still. forever. Pomp is in the, this is next year's. Pomp, you know, you know, it's so, it's so. Maybe we can know, get Gabe to Naira. <laughs> That guy works. Steve, uh, I'm telling you what. If if, if you're a if you're miracles, a, if you own a racetrack company and you don't, he, he the guy is like, listen, he's my friend, but he's he's done like, yeah. he gets it, and and that's the one thing that's so hard to um, it, it's so hard to describe it. it it's, it's weird. You think that people would like say, well. Uh, what, what what's his formula? Well, his formula is that he understands how better he's a better. He is a better. And, and as opposed to exactly, and as opposed to hiring some consultants to tell you how betters think, you actually hire one, and he understands the horseman. He's been the executive director of the the, the harness horseman in Kentucky for years. So he understands that side of the, the ledger as well. He owns horses. He's bred a couple of horses. And, he, you know, he runs the show. He runs the show from a, the standpoint of, uh, you know, when there's, there's carryovers or, or when there's uh, you know, guarantees, how much to put the guarantee. And, he, and he's, I was sitting with him a couple months ago. He had a guarantee, put it up and. He, he he was sweating it out a little bit. I'm like, man, I think he put the hundred thousand up for guarantee. That's a lot of money. hundred thousand yeah. dollars a lot. Park is a you lot. You don't realize how much that's that a lot. <laughs> it's not like a hundred thousand yeah. golf stream where they're going to do thirteen million. You know, so uh, he was sweating it out a little bit. It, it, it yeah, I think he had one hundred seventy-six thousand. I think there was like like one hundred thirty thousand, mm-hmm. you know, new money bet into the pool. But he gets it and he understands the the betting menus. Um, he understands how to push races off a second, you know, move them up, you know, push them back so that you're not running on top of the, the, the heavier signals or your other, you know, the signals that your other, uh, your, your people betting on your races are betting on too, because no one just bets one track anymore. It's very, very rare that a person will just bet one track. So, you know, he's cognizant of that fact and, and they don't run at the same time as, the second and third and the fourth biggest handle tracks are, are, you know, running. And sometimes like he's, he's made the point. He said, listen, sometimes you just can't help it. When there's seven tracks running in a 60 minute period and you're all trying to run three races in that period, you know, you can't get it exact all the time. But, but the fact of the matter is that the, the, this is a track that when he got there a few years ago was handling two and three, $400,000. And now there's nights they do 1.3, 1.4 million, and it's not because there's uh, this huge influx of quality horses. There's not. The most of the horses there are, are donkeys, and um, you know Dave Miller came this year, and to me, you know, for my betting, he kind of screwed it up a little bit because um, you know when you had him and Hennessy in a race, and those two guys won like some ungodly percentage of the time so it, it made it really difficult be, just because he's you know he's so good but but um you know the guy's done an, an unbelievable job and and the sad to think that 
um, despite that, despite handle going up, you know, three, four hundred percent, the track still, the owners of the track have no interest in racing and they want to get rid of it. And they're going to. And next year will be the last year. And it didn't matter that the coupling is pretty much a moot point. It didn't matter here last year. Their next year was going to be the last year, whether the politicians pass this decoupling bill or don't pass it. It doesn't matter. It's immaterial. It was the last year, period. So uh, I don't think, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say I don't think, but the odds of them being able to um, find a a different location in Florida and and run a racetrack there seems, seems impossible. I mean, you'd have to have someone come in, uh, you know, you'd be starting from scratch somewhere. And, you know, on top of all the the legalities and getting a paramutual license from the state and all the, the, you know, getting the county permission, getting, uh, you you have to get, uh, you know, there's a whole huge um, list of uh, red tape that you have to deal with, with just, just with the state. But to think that, that someone, they're going to get someone that's going to put the money up for the infrastructure, for barns, for a rate for the track, for um, the TV cameras themselves are expensive. It, it just doesn't seem possible. I, I just don't know anyone out there who's got. There's I mean, as much as a chance as that happening as Hialeah uh-huh. opening back up. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, at least Hialeah is there, you know? It's still there. The track's still there. The the, the gates are still there. Everything's still there, but uh, they just don't really seem to have a whole lot of interest in, in racing there. Um, uh, you know, Steve Brunetti is, is a racing guy. He, he actually would, if he was probably calling the shots or had a little bit more more to the juice there, he probably would get it going. But uh, his brother is the CEO, and he's not that interested in it. And um, you know, that's just how it goes. And it's too bad. It's too bad. I, I thought, uh, I thought the idea of the Breeders' Cup buying into Hialeah and you know fixing it up, putting up temporary barns, and having it be uh, in the the rotation, um, you know, with Kentucky and with Southern California, which which seems to be the only two places the Breeders' Cup is going to go anymore. It, it would be great to have a. a I mean, can you imagine a Hialeah Breeders' Cup? I mean, how, yeah, how great would that be? Pretty awesome. Hialeah was just, uh, we were stable there two years. The last two, the, the last two years, the last two years of, of, uh, of real racing. Um, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, uh, an amazing place to train horses. And even as, uh, um, it was like minor league-ish kind of at, I mean, it wasn't like it was great racing. You know, the last the last couple of years, it, it was still, um, it was still great. You know, it was just the the grandstand that just has that feel. Uh, you know, you had flashbacks <laughs> to Let It Ride, the movie Let It Ride all the time. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was uh, it was something else. But again, you know, it's like I just feel like like that's a pipe dream. Now, you know, now with Calder gone, it's. Uh, it's you know, and you, you see some of the the headlines um, dealing with the Florida legislature, and there's you know, 
there's a whole lot of stuff going on with gambling in this state. And sadly, the thoroughbreds, even as big as we were, is as much money. I mean, they handled $2 billion last year at, at Gulfstream Park. $2 billion with a B. And the breeding industry is a big, big business in the Ocala area. The breeding and the, uh, you know, the breaking and the, the two-year-old and training sales. Uh, I mean, OBS sells a, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of horses there. I mean, the, epi- the economic impact of horse racing in this state is, is gigantic. And when we go to Tallahassee, we're like bit players. We're like nobodies. Um, you know, when you stack us up next to the Seminoles, uh, who are, they're, they're trying to get to, you know, give them money again because the Seminoles were, were literally giving the state 25 or $30 million a month just, you know, because they had it. Um, and then they got in a fight with the, the, one of the prior governors and, and stopped, <laughs> stopped making those payments. But, um, you know, that, that seems like the focus. And we seem like we're just not that important. And, and it's kind of scary when you really think about, like, where horse racing is at. Um, you know, Arlington Park, you know, we're, we're in our last, uh, you know, the last hurrah there. Hollywood Park is gone. Suffolk Downs is gone. Rockingham Park is gone. Uh, Bay Meadows is gone. Sportsman's Park is gone. Um, uh, you know, Hialeah, Calder. Uh, I mean, these are all tracks that when I started training just a little over 20 years ago, we're, we're all still running. And they're all gone. Atlantic City. Garden State. Atlantic City, uh, you know, even as dilapidated state, uh, Atlantic yeah. City was was kind of a cool little meet. You know, they ran all turf races, and uh, I mean, it wasn't like high quality or anything, but it was it was fun. It was it was kind of nice to go there, and and uh, you know, for the people, the year round people up in the Northeast, it was kind of the first turf racing they saw, and it, it was it was kind of like a sign to spring, and 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 even that that's you know that's gone too, so. Um, I mean, honestly, Mammoth Park is is probably lucky. If it wasn't for Drazen, um, you know, really driving the bus yeah, there, sports, that place sports would be betting, gone. You know, was uh, same with the actually kept them going as much as you know. You talk about how sports betting is, you know, hurting thoroughbred game, which you know probably is true. But without the sports betting, I mean, is Mammoth still up and having a meet? I don't know that – I don't know, and, and, I, and this is just conjecture. I haven't spoken to him about this, but I don't know if Drazen could have seriously considered um, racing – you know, running Mammoth as a, strictly as a racetrack with no slots wagering, with no slots money, and with no sports betting money because everyone else mm-hmm. in the surrounding areas has it. And I just don't know how they would have been able to survive without that, uh, you know, that, that pot of rainbow at the end of the or see, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, and it's come through and, and, you know, they're doing well. And I mean, to be honest, uh, maybe I'm being a, a, a jerk, but I think that Jeff Gorell should, should pitch more in than he pitches in because that sports book is, yeah. is doing. Yeah, I know. I went to a times a place. Huge. It's back. Huge, he could he could throw in a little bit more money to the purses. There. He's not gonna either. But um, yeah. Listen, I always 
No, he's not going to. He's he's just that way. But he's the white knight, but he, it's he's like the white Brian knight Sears. with an asterisk. He is not the white knight, but he he, he, yeah. he likes to be the, the the knight in shining armor to save the metal lands. And, and he did. I mean, I'm not going to criticize that. He did, but he could probably be a little bit more. I wonder. With, I wonder. I haven't really heard anything funks, about. But, uh, last year they talked about running a dirt meet at the metal lands for thoroughbreds, but this year you haven't heard a thing. So that was the plan. There, there was a. Some in the contract with the state, uh, and, and I'm totally like paraphrasing here. This is all secondhand information, but the thoroughbreds have the first right of refusal to run a meet there in the fall at the Meadowlands on the dirt. Um, and I think there was some some arguing over. It's it's an extremely high number to convert the dirt from the trotters to the thoroughbreds i think it's like and, and back i think it's around a million dollars or more so that was kind of the point of contention and then you know Gorel's like i'm not going to pay for that which i don't blame him um for that but uh i think last year because mammoth got hurt he lost so many dates then there was no sports betting for months and months and months because there was no games um I think the the surplus money that was going to be used to fund that fall meet kind of uh, ran out. So maybe next year um, or the year after, if, if the sports betting continues to boom, if they make enough money to have uh, that extra you know amount of cash. I mean, personally, I could do without the Meadowlands dirt meet at that time of the year. Um, I think guys would be better off just shipping south and right you know it just is uh there's just so many tracks running at that time and it just uh i i just don't see the the uh allure of dirt racing in november in the cold anymore when aqueduct is running and parks is still running and Penn's still running and delaware just you know i just don't know that there's enough horses there to where you're going to have it be, you know, no, really good I mean, racing. I would agree. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts? Way too much racing on, you know, this side of the coast to probably even have a meet that would, you know, be of any count. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you said, though, there, there hasn't been a word said about it. So I'm sure that, uh, that this meet's not, uh, not going to happen. Um, this meet is going to happen at Mammoth without Jane Sabelli. <laughs> you told Jane, "Sorry, you're you're too big of a of a pain in the in the rear end." So, so so Jane's staying in South. Yeah. She's staying South. Got one more. Um, Colonial is uh, is going to be running this year. They're going to. Yeah. I mean, last year they aborted after yeah. five days because Jock's got COVID or something. But uh, they're going to run about six or seven weeks. Yeah, I saw they they burned so, the turf. Mostly board, turf. So that's uh, uh, mid- they're unveiling. It's wacky. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. that that's that always. <laughs> Gulfstream yeah, burns it's naturally the turf, burned. They run out of it. 
<laughs> yeah, they don't have to like that. That's from the sun. With a maiden fan baby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm telling you what, the last couple of days, man, it feels like yeah, it's gotta it be feels warm like July because already. I'm, I, know, I just got back from Lexington and it was like 78 there. So yeah, it's it's been. Uh, we went right to summer, but I'm not. I'm not. I'll tell you, it was something to see in, so. in Keeneland, Chuck, because I mean it's a free for all there, as you would well, you know, know. But if you had a drink, or you were eating, or you were seated, you did not need to wear a mask. I thought that was kind of interesting, and as you well know, yeah, and as you well know, people in Keeneland usually have drinks. Yeah, I mean that's you know, drinks that's, are that's prevalent throughout the so, Keeneland. Yeah, I mean, there weren't too many masks. I'll yeah, they don't what, exist they, down here. Yeah, I heard, there's, there's I heard some stories. Yeah, no, but in like New York, you know, ago. as soon as I got home, you know, it's yeah. mask mandatory. You know, basically, I mean, if I'm sure at the racetrack, you know, you're not allowed to take your mask off. So. I mean, it's just. It, it was Pompano, and you know, Pompano mm. opened back up the crowds first. Yeah. Not that they get huge crowds right. over there, but I mean, they might get a couple hundred people. But um, they were open first, and the first couple weeks, <laughs> yeah, well, the mass of police were everywhere, you know. And yeah. then, then they kind of tapered off and tapered off, and then outside, right. they were like, mm. ah, "If you're outside, you don't have to wear it anymore." I'm telling you, uh, <laughs> when when the Canadians were down, all the Frenchies were here uh, in the winter yeah. around that bar, the outside bar of Pompano, <laughs> smoking those those Paul Malls or whatever cigarettes they. <laughs> you should have had an oxygen tank assigned with your mask. Yeah, those guys Man, would be guys, smoking right through like the chins. mask. I'm telling you, if your health insurance company found out you spent any yeah, you time dropped the immediately, bar yeah, dropped bar immediately. They will cancel you. <laughs> oh, you will be dropped like a hot potato, man. They're say you are about 75% having that. Um, uh, what's that thing that they, they advertise on TVG? It has some wacky um, things. <laughs> if you have. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You think that's on it? That was their go to, though, for a long while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People whose lung health is worse: <laughs> coal miners and people who hang out at the bar pumping all. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the indoor bar, of course, you know, there's no smoking indoors, so it's like, yeah, you know, yeah no clouds, pristine air in there, man. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> Outside. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the the there's there's not many the, the Quebec plates are missing this year, and and you know I I often blame the people from Quebec for the bad traffic here in the winter time, but I gotta I gotta apologize to the Quebecis. It's not your it's fault. Still brutal. Was, yeah, it's still brutal. Crap. Yeah, it's all just so without you. I mean, it just, still sucks. There's nowhere to go. Oh no. People just don't follow any rules no. here. Like they just don't follow the rules. Like. No. Speeding, I mean, that's not even, and and the cops never pull anybody over. 
The only time you see cops pull anyone over, like you see a cop that has somebody pull over, there's like four cops and they all have like machines yeah, it's major, pointed at it. It's like a Miami Vice kind of deal, right? I mean, no one ever just gets pulled over for like speeding. It's always got to yeah. be like, you know, drug bust, high speed chase that, that ended. Oh, man. It's like anarchy here sometimes, but you know what? It doesn't yeah, well, there's something to be said for the So No, there's <laughs> there is. Sometimes they suck. But um <laughs> But Jay, I appreciate you filling in today for you get well for soon, Barry. The under the weather Barry. And um yeah, this is the plan, really. Huge mile from Eagle and 50 and 4 for the Green Hornet. Yeah. Oh, man. I would have I would have had to pick three because I used the plan. Good. But no. Oh. Uh, the pick three paid it might, $160. Might I say he did go down the road, so speed was good there. <laughs> But he did do it from the eight hole, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, on his day, on his day, on his day. He's a good horse. You know, he's always kind of been, he's always kind of been yeah. like right yeah, I mean, below he, the he, best. He deserved to win it. I mean, he's over. He's over two million, right? Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's, it's crazy. Trotters, I mean, Pacers. Yeah. Well, that's why I love they, the they sport, just go John, on because, on on. you know, you can follow these animals to eight, nine, and they're still good. You know, they, they're starting every week, and I like how they move the big races to every track, you know, so it's 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 good. It's, you know, different, you know, yeah. half-mile track one week and a seven-inch track the next week, then a mile. You know, I, I kind of wish that somehow – we could get some ideas from harness racing into the thoroughbred racing. Because they kind of work together, these harness tracks. You know, I've thought, uh, you know, Barry and I talked about this a couple months ago, two or three different segments, about how we could tie the Breeders' Cup into a series of races. Well, you used to have that. You had that with TRS. And... And, yeah, right, right, and that was one of the things I, I brought up was the, the, the American Championship Racing Series. Um, I actually had a, a devil is due when we won the Pimlico Special. I had a blanket; <laughs> the chief gave it to me, and someone stole it. Yeah, please return. So if you have a Charles Special Devil is Due blanket, it's stolen. Yes, and Randy Brassad, I still hate you, and I'm going to get you for stealing my halters out of Mammoth. Five years ago or six years ago now, I haven't forgotten. So, if you happen to listen, I'm 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 going to He's take probably it out using of those halters right now with interest. No, no doubt they were nice halters. <laughs> Maybe They're a dead probably giveaway. leather halters in his barn. <laughs> yeah, probably with the same nameplates on. But. Uh... <laughs> I don't know how we got segued into that, but no, we're, we're, there are, um, I, I just think that especially some of the, um, I mean, certainly the, the older horse division is what it is and the Phillies and this and that, but like the sprints, like the sprinters, the, there's no, 
there's no real cognizant road to the Breeders' Cup. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. And, and I just think the sprint, the Philly sprinters, um, maybe turf milers, like put something together, a race of the month at, at a different track, you know, and, and bump the purses a little bit and, and give somebody something, uh, you know, point system uh, leading into the Breeders' Cup. Maybe the point leaders get some sort of bonus. If they win the Breeders' Cup, they get an extra 25%. Or, you know, just something to try to get horses to race against each other. Because the one great thing about the race last weekend at Oaklawn was, I mean, these yeah. were clearly the three best fillies in the country, right? And uh, she maybe she's a stone, what's her, she's a devil, whatever her name is. Uh, yeah, she, yeah. She, she, right, she, she, she's probably another one, um, you know, on, under the same umbrella. But still, you know, this was the matchup that people wanted to see. And, and that's the matchup that we need to get more than just Breeders' Cup weekend and more than just in, in you know, like uh, Triple Crown events. Because everything else seems like it's a prep for the Breeders' Cup. And, and that sucks. I mean, we need to have races stand on their own merits. And there's just no reason. Horse racing with a championship event at the end of the year is so made to have a pattern of races to get there. And it's just industry dysfunction and um, just a lack of, of, of passion on the part of a lot of our leaders. And that they just, they're so quick. You know, it, it really pisses me off and I don't want to get on too much of a tangent, but that everybody's <laughs> all handles up. Everything's great. No, everything's not great. Everything sucks. You know, it's not great. That could stop tomorrow because you know the truth is nobody yeah, really knows. Up numbers, I mean. Nobody really knows. We need to keep investing in the game, and we need to keep coming up with new ideas, and not sit back and oh, the Naira show man it brings a lot of people in. Yeah, it brings a lot of people in, but you're looking for younger people. Guess what? Younger people don't even have Fox Sports One. They cut the cord. They don't even have uh, cable TV. And I understand that, you know, demographics and racing do trend older. But, uh, you know, the Breeders' Cup has traditionally been on NBC, right? NBC Sports Channel carries most of the races. Well, NBC Sports Channel is going to be defunct after this year. So, <laughs> you know, what then? <laughs> where, where are we going? They're going to want to put those races on that Peacock streaming service. And... <laughs> The odds of my dad being able to find Peacock streaming service mm-hmm. are yeah, like 12 million to one. He doesn't too. even text message. Right. So, you know, like, this is the thing, is that you want to attract a younger a younger demographic. Yeah, I mean, the younger the people only way, are going away yeah, from the television. Yeah, the only way to attract the They're younger going to, they're going people away from is to get them out to the track and see the live event. That's the sell. <laughs> And then you know, the hook. offer them no dollar beer, no doubt about dollar it. hot dogs, and that'll work wonders. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, it seems so simple, yet it's so far fetched. In the end, yeah. 
if you put out a good product to bet on and you price it fairly and you police it um, aggressively, if you, if you build it, they'll it come. It should work. But we, we don't have great product a lot of days. The pricing levels, the takeout levels are, are too high in most bets. And, the, you know, the policing of the sport is, you know, not aggressive. I mean, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks back about, um, you know, the stewards. Yeah, it's interesting that lot, you say that, doing a lot more than coming back from Keeneland the other day uh, after there was a disqualification, whether, you know, one race they took something down, another race they didn't. After the race, they gave a whole dissertation on the infield screen of, you know, why they took it down or why they did it. Now, that has to be done at every racetrack. They do it in Kentucky now. They do it in California. Why don't they do that in New York? No reason why they don't do that everywhere. And I, and I want to go further than that. I want explanations yeah. from jockeys and trainers when a horse's form changed for better or for worse. I want to know when a horse that I bet on that shows speed consistently shows no speed intentionally. I want to know why. I want to know what happened. I want to know, did, did the rain break? Did uh, the horse not feel right? Did he lose a shoe? Did, I mean, this is information that, 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 that's actually you know um, important to have. And one thing that racing has, has always failed to kind of do is, is to tra- be transparent. And the, the more eyes you have on you and the more smarter people you have betting your races, they're going to want that information. They're going to want to know what happened here. How come this happened? Why did this horse not show or speed or, or, or vice versa? How come a horse that's, that's run three times and not really shown any speed, fourth time breaks on top and yeah. then goes wire to wire? Okay, that's great. That's fine. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But call me up. Call the trainer up. And, and it doesn't have to be like immediately after the race in the winter circle or something like that. But put it out the next day. Yeah. Have, a, have a You know, like the NBA has uh, the last two-minute report where they go through every, the last two minutes of every game and they, they break down every call that's made, period, whether it was right, whether it was wrong, if it was wrong, why it was wrong, if it was right, you know, this was the right call, it was, you know, rule, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and just say, just ha- have a report saying that we spoke to, you know, these jockeys, these trainers, and this is what they had to say about that, and put it on your website and, and, and make it a part of the record. And it's like, that is so much more uh, pertinent than, you know, some of the other nonsense that, that, that people, you know, that, that the tracks seem to think we give a shit about. <laughs> you know, like when the jockey's birthday is or something like that. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I know how world, is, is a whole world. lot, you know, is a whole different ball of wax. And they, they have a form steward, you know, who that that's what they do. Right. And in Hong Kong, you have to ask permission to change tactics. If you change tactics um, without telling anyone, yeah, and then you are going to you know, wind up in they the tell clink, maybe. And then they'll announce it, <laughs> you, know? you know, before the race. It's not a secret. Yeah, right. It, it's not a, uh, you know. No, and 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 maybe this country won't, won't. You know, there's too much racing. It's too much low class racing, um, where there just isn't the finances to do that. 
uh, and then a lot of it comes down to money. I mean, let's face it, you know, money is a big factor and we can come up with all the great ideas we want, but they also have to be funded. And, and one of the things that people have kind of pushed for, and I've always kind of like been on the fence about is, is like vet records. Because I said, listen, what are you going to do with those vet records? What are you going to, number one, it's a tremendous amount of volume of, of, of information data. It's going to cost a lot of money to, to get that data uh, implemented somewhere in, in the form that you can use it. And the fact of the matter is the stuff you're looking for, the smoking guns, the vets aren't going to write yeah, it well, down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you rob banks, you, you know, you don't keep a diary and say, yeah, you know, today I just went to Wawa and had a roast beef sandwich. Uh, yesterday, you know, the day before, uh, yeah, I robbed the Third National Bank, you know. Like, they're not going to put well, anything illegal down. Now they'll tell you about claims that are voided, but they don't tell you why. I mean, it could have been, you know, for whatever reason, the claims right. could have been voided from a, a clerical reason. Yeah, it didn't necessarily have to be. Right, you could have spelled something wrong. I I had a claim voided one. I think time I remember that. I wrote the wrong. I wrote, I wrote the wrong date. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually it was a it was a good one to, to void because the horse who right. won that day, but but he turned out to be a like not a good claim. But yeah, I think I put like two thousand six, and it was two thousand seven. But you know that that's voidable. Uh, you know, yeah, they owners, need to. They need not to licensed that. is a voidable yeah, claim. Uh, not enough money in the account. You know, sometimes the guy will forget they got to put uh, they'll they'll yeah, wire money yeah. into the account, but they yeah. forget they got to pay sales tax. Came up so short. The, there won't be. Yeah, no, money I mean, there has to be a footnote, tax, and that'll be a voided claim. No, that's a good. A good... Did you see there was 36 no, claims in on that horse at, at Oakland on Saturday? Wow. Robert horse in the seventh ring. race. 36 claims. Right. I looked at the horse and he didn't, number one, he didn't win the race. Mm. And it, he looked like he had good form and he'd been claimed a couple times before. Yeah, it but it wasn't like, you know, it, it was, no, it, it wasn't like this was, uh, um, you know, Personal ends in a, in a fifty claimer. I mean, it just—he was just all right. I was just, you know, I know Oakland. At the end of the meet, people claim like crazy because they're going all over the place. And there's like no jail there because there's no more meat. So, um, that was crazy. Thirty six. Thirty six is a lot. Thirty six. You have to. You have to do three. Because yeah. you you only have fifteen pills, right? <laughs> So you'd have to do you'd have to do three three twelves three twelve shakes then a shake off. But uh, I do appreciate you uh, coming on okay. and filling in, and uh, right. we'll, we'll definitely have you back on before Great. the Derby. We're going to do a show. We're going to go over uh, the Derby card. And, uh, yeah, we did good on the uh, the, the uh, Florida Derby and, card. We gave out and we'll go from there between the three of us. Yeah. Some decent prices too. A lot of winners. Some chalk, but some That's some true. good prices. Yeah, no. Yeah. Sometimes you know you got to chalk it up, but yeah, uh, sometimes you just got to survive. Try to be in the no chalk zone. 
but uh thanks jay and, and hopefully uh hopefully jose yeah, will be back up and going and uh you guys will have a good meet at belmont okay all right thanks again all right thanks for everyone for listening we'll be back